As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Guys, the Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Get in on the conversation that you listen to here every single day and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast like this one. Download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS App Store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join my group. Follow me at Larry D-E-E. It's, uh, I don't know why they didn't let me use D period, but they didn't. So follow me at Larry D-E-E to be notified when my room goes live every Wednesday, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, and join me when we go live every Wednesday night at Club 34-7. What's up, guys? Back for the annual year in review episode and... um you know, I, I really just thought that, uh, you know, with the, you know, the, the the decision, the news that we'd all been waiting for, which was the dismissal uh, of Ryan Pace and, and, and Matt Nagy, which means the Bears are going to have a clean slate and, you know, a fresh start in 2022, that, uh, you know, Lauren and I would spend more time talking about the season and, uh, you know, the, the, the mishaps and what went wrong and kind of recap that and, uh, and what have you. And uh, then good old Georgia McCaskey was like, uh, I'll, uh, I'll take it over from here and, 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 and deliver another mind-blowing press conference, uh, you know, with somehow managing to top last year's just god-awful performance. But it was a performance that he shared with Nagy and Pace and Ted Phillips. And this time, the disaster was pretty much all on him. You know, Ted Phillips chimed in from, from time to time, but he was basically just a peripheral character where it was just a big solo job for George McCaskey just really just dominating that press conference and making himself look like an absolute idiot um for I mean just from the Olin Krutz thing to the I'm not a I'm not a I'm just a fan not an evaluator but I'm the guy making the final call on who the football people are and all the rest of that stuff so of course, a good chunk of the start of this conversation was myself and Lauren marveling at another gloriously bad press conference from our leadership in in Hallis Hall. So, you know, kind of wanted to talk more about the football team and, and thought that, uh, you know, we'd just kind of touch upon where the season went wrong and, and why Pace and Nagy don't have jobs anymore. But uh, instead, uh, Georgia McCaskey decided to make himself uh, center stage. Uh, for at least the first half hour of this conversation. So prepare yourself uh, for that. But we do talk about the team. We talk a lot about the, you know, where the Bears could be going. We talk about, you know, potential candidates and who blows up our skirt and who doesn't. We talk a little at the end about the about the playoffs and, and who we think, uh, you know, might end up going to the Super Bowl and and everything. And I think I have an interesting tidbit about Aaron Rodgers. Some of you may or may not like, but, uh, you know, it's a thought, and I just wanted to share it uh, and everything. But um, 
it's me and it's Lauren, and you know how it is when the two of us get together. So, you know, whether you if you if you take this one in pieces or if you ex- consume it all at once, it's going to be a while. But I appreciate you being here, and this is the Year in Review podcast for 2021 season of the Bears Talk Underground with myself and Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. Ringing out loud tonight. So the 2021 season is officially in the books. Uh, and our beloved Chicago Bears managed to lose nine of their last 12 after a 3-2 and two start to finish 6-11, and 11, thus signaling the end of the Matt Nagy era. And we were all kind of biting our nails, wondering if Ryan Pace would follow with him. Would the Bears get a completely clean start? And they do. And here to talk to us about the future and what was the, the, the second half of the 2021 season. From Locked on Bears, our good friend Lauren Cox. Lauren, welcome back, man. Hey, appreciate you having me back on. I I was hoping we would have like more optimism and unbridled hope to, to kind of talk about on this show but hey we'll, we'll we'll take it for what we got huh you know what and, and when I was um I was going to reach out to you on Monday anyway to see if you wanted to do it this week did you want to wait maybe until we got a coach and a GM and you know kind of do an all-in-one type thing and uh, I was thinking about that during the press conference on Monday and then it just became apparent well, we, we got to do this this week because um, I, I didn't think last year's press conference from hell could be topped. But, uh, you know, this one was the Godfather 2 of uh, sequels as far as like, you know, Godfather was great. Godfather 2 might even, you know, is widely regarded as actually being better than the original. Just when you thought, you know, you had last year's, uh, you know, Firestorm uh, good old Georgie says, hold my beer and, and comes with the, <laughs> brings the ruckus this time around, dude. It's like, how, how did you manage to top it? And it was just mainly, I mean, Ted filtered in from time to time, but last year, it, you know, there's that C word again. It was a collaborative effort from Pace, Nagy, Phillips, and McCaskey. This time it was mostly Georgie riding solo with Ted chiming in from time to time. And yet it was way worse than last year. Yeah, I can think of a different C word to, for Ted this for George. <laughs> excuse me, this time around. But uh, <laughs> no, it was like I, I, as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, is it just us? Like, do we just get too fired up about press conferences in Chicago? Like, you know, Bears fans are crazy. Like, you know, and we we just, everybody gets so excited about this team because it matters so much to the city. And, and I think, I mean, I think there's probably some level of that that like Bears fans just care a little bit more about this kind of stuff. But also, other teams' chairmen are not calling out their former legendary players and calling them liars and then also you know calling themselves fam I mean, we'll get into we'll get into all that stuff but like uh, I, I do think other teams have wacky press conferences every once in a while but it doesn't tend to be like this press conference when when it's supposed to be the the the, the lob it up easy pr right the ship calm the fan base type press conference yeah. of just like all you got to do is put on a smile and sell everybody that things are okay and to to go so directly the opposite direction was impressive honestly yeah i mean what they have to do next year and i know that the press won't like this is not take questions because that is where this press conference went off the rails because it started out it's well it started out weird actually uh you and i were just talking ahead of time we both came in about a minute late so we missed the part where he um paid tribute to jeff dickerson and and all that he did 
as a beat writer and reporter for the Bears and, um, you know, offering condolences to his family and, and, you know, namely his son Parker, who lost both his parents in the last two years to cancer, and then went right into basically scolding Bear fans for heckling Matt Nagy's kid at the playoff game over the fall. Now, Lauren, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of that entire situation Number one is that it was a bunch of stupid-ass teenagers in the student section of the rival school. And number two, wasn't Nagy there? Well, like, wasn't he at the game and he was the one being heckled, not actually the kid in the, in the game being heckled? I don't know the second half of that. Yeah. I don't remember for sure whether Nagy was there or not. That That part escapes me, but it was for sure kids in the student section. It was not... Chicago Bears fans lining it's, up by the hundreds to, you know, give Nagy's kid a wedgie or we or just to heckle him. You know what I mean? Like this was, this is what I mean. Even though it's it's not like it's not nice and it's no, it's, it's a bad thing for those kids to do. Yes, right. but like that being said, it is not uncommon for stu- students in a student section of the high school football game to say mean bad things that they shouldn't. Right, because they're teenagers and they don't know any better. But instead, George McCaskey painted us all in the same brush because of what those kids did in the student section of a high school football game. You know, was it, a, was it a shitty thing to do? Yes. Yes, it was. But it was a bunch of stupid teenagers who don't know any better, and I'm sure that there was some kind of talking to or whatever because the Managgy's team lost that day, so it was the, the next team, you know, that moved on to the next round. Uh, and I actually think they ended up winning state, actually, if I'm not mistaken. But, um you know, it was those kids that, uh, you know, maybe they didn't get to have a student section at the next round of the, of the playoffs or whatever. But it just, you know, of, so this is the moment right here, right now. And, and at this press conference, this is where you're going to pick your moment to defend those, to defend Nagy's kid. Not four months ago when it actually happened, but now. So that's the thing, right? Yeah. Like, not four months ago. That's the that's so much of the problem with the ownership and stuff. It's like everything is so like late to react and and oh well now we'll turn around and address that. But like or like you know they address the team privately when the Matt, the first Matt Nagy firing rumors came out and just like the way they've handled these type of situations either too late after the fact or just not addressing things at all has been one of the I guess much much lower on the list of problems I guess. Yeah. So I mean it's it's been a major major weakness and who who the hell is in charge of PR? With the Bears, like who gets Georgie ready for one of these press conferences? Because as, as far as the last two seasons, they are over two, man. I mean, George, George shoots him a finger gun and goes, "I got this." Yeah, <laughs> Go I mean, that's, that would be the best explanation for what happened yesterday, man. Because like I said, it would it started kind of weird with that th- whole thing with the scolding, and then he makes the you know makes his statement and you know um, lays it out. I mean, and we got part of what we wanted to hear that. Ted Phillips is not going to be part of the day-to-day football operations anymore, that the general manager, he will be the football operations guy, but he'll report directly uh, to McCaskey. Like, okay, so that's part of what we wanted, along with the fact that Pace and Nagy are gone. So we get our clean slate. We kind of get rid of Ted Phillips, but good old Ted is going to be in on the committee that chooses the next general manager and the next coach. And then he opens it up for questions, and that's when the the media starts holding his feet to the fire. And I just I don't know if he forgot his notes, or if he ignored it, or if he just wasn't prepared at all. I mean, it just seemed like every question that he was asked was a surprise to him. Yeah, and, and to that extent, it felt like very genuine answers a lot of the times, which I guess is then more true and genuine to what he was thinking, even if it was very poor 
public relations practice. Yeah. But I'm sure that whoever is in charge uh, of PR was, you know, you had to hide the razor blades and make sure all the windows were locked because uh, it just, the way that thing went, as it went along, it just got worse as, as it went. And then, uh, you know, Adam Hogue, who I'm a huge fan of, I love his podcast uh, with uh, Hogan Johns, of course, un- uh, after Bears Talk Underground and Locked on Bears. That's number three. I mean, it, that's implied. But, <laughs> of course. you know, I, I, I actually, for the first time, I'm going to use my pads on my roadcaster. Lauren, I'm going to play the clip because it, it bears repeating. You just have to hear what this moron said when Adam Hogue asked him about the Olin Krutz job offer and whether or not it was uh, whether or not it's true. Just told a story the other day about how the Bears offered him essentially a, somewhat of a consulting role with the offensive line um, for $15 an hour. Were you aware of that offer when it happened? And what was your reaction whenever you were aware of it? I've learned over the years to take just about anything that Olin says with a grain of salt. And I look forward to hearing that story again and hope he includes it in his Hall of Fame induction speech. So you're saying that it's not true? Uh, That's the way it is sometimes with Olin. Don't get the whole story. And Ola knows what the story is. So what's what we don't get to see, Lauren, and you only get to experience if you are actually watching it, was that long pause when Adam Hogue asked him, so it's not true. The look on his face said a hell of a lot more than the that's what you get with Olin thing that he said there at the end. Like there was a lot more going on in that face than what he gave us at the end there. Um, But just tell me, what was going through your mind? How did you react to all of that? Because for me, it was absolute. I just could not believe what that, what just happened. You know, I, I try and be a very professional uh, Twitter user in terms of, you know, keeping my tweets clean and I try not to use a lot of profanity because future employers look at that stuff. Sure. But when that when I heard the Olin Krutz thing, I tweeted, holy shit. <laughs> wow. They, I, it, it, it was my 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 jaw dropped. I, I, I just I couldn't I couldn't believe like of all the of all the ways you could answer that question, it's it's hard to think of too many ways worse other than just straight up Calling him a liar and getting curse words out there, and you know, calling him all these different, calling literally like name calling. Yeah, it's think of like worse ways to have answered that question. Like, like you just, you just needed to say nothing of substance. You didn't have to. You didn't have to be. No one needed you to be honest. No one needed you to give us any sort of details. You could have given us the most PR blanket statement of, you know, we. We, I, I wasn't aware of those allegations, or or we're aware of those allegations. But either way, we're, we're investigating it, and we're going to get to the bottom of that. And you know, we have so much respect for Olin, and of course, you know, we want him to be a part of our family and whatever compensated fairly. I mean, whatever kind of jumbled up PR, covering your ass type quotes you could say, no one would have batted an eye if you had answered it that way. But instead, you get you rock, walk right up to the line of calling him a liar without 
directly calling him a liar and then you kind of hide behind uh, some softening of the language. I mean, unbelievable that the man in charge of the team, essentially the face, the owner, and he's not the owner, but he, he operates as ownership yeah. to call out a player, not only just like any old player, but Olin Krutz of all players, just, I mean, you might as well called Walter Payton, the devil. I mean, I, you know what I mean? Like yeah. how, how far, how far removed are we from that? I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if uh, Olin Krutz is one of the more beloved players, especially since he's was like the known leader of the last successful era that this football team had, you know, with the, the love of years and the, the, the division titles back-to-back uh, playoff runs and Super Bowl forty one and, and, and all that kind of stuff, Olin was our starting center for, what, 12 years, something like that. A long, I mean, he was, I don't think he played much his rookie year in 98, but he was pretty much the starter from 99 until – uh, he left in 2010, 2011, something like that. I mean, it's just a long storied career, multiple Pro Bowls. I think he went like six years in a row or something like that. And it's just, you know, he was the definition of the of the Bears and the leader of the offense and, and all that kind of stuff. And for, I mean, and that's a reputation he still carries to this day. A lot of people, including myself, still love Olin Cruz to this day. And for him to answer that question that way for him to basically just go on the offensive i was blown away by it well that's the thing it's like even if i mean put it put aside our feelings for olin Krutz, right even if olin Krutz is actually was actually lying about that story say he completely made up the story that's still not how you answer the question there's right. no incentive for you to dispute olin Krutz in that regard. i mean who's he trying to protect ryan pace himself i mean who 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 does who does he if if he if he even if, he, if George is right and said yeah you know Olin's lying like who who does that whose face does that save I mean it's just <laughs> it, there's just no I, I cannot find a logical reason other than just like not thinking it through like as to why George would answer that way like I, I'm waiting for somebody to ask him about Brian's song and for him to be like oh you know, that's a little embellished you know you could yeah. you know Piccolo and Walter they kind of you know, take that with a grain of salt the Brian's song was you know that that was more movie magic that wasn't really how it happened like come on like what, what what's the point Gail Sayers didn't even know who Brian Piccolo was that whole movie thing was a lie so totally fake yeah totally so yeah I mean it just it was uh I mean especially since that was kind of like the cherry on top of him kind of bungling his way through the answers and some right some ways downright refusing to answer some questions like some they really tried to hold his feet to the fire as far as what's going to be different this time around because you know you just told us that you and Ted are going to lead the charge with the help of Bill Polian. That's the good news here is that Bill Polian, a well, well respected uh, former executive, won multiple Super Bowls, has hired great coaches and drafted great players and, and all that kind of stuff. He's got the pedigree to help us, and, and that's welcome as a Bear fan or just a football fan in, in general, but it's still you and Ted and the two other uh, committee members, Soup Campbell. A lot of people were upset that he kept referring to him by his nickname and not his actual – Lamar Campbell is his name. And they were, they were upset they were, that – people were, were kind of upset that he kept calling him Soup uh, Campbell. And then the, uh, the, the lady in charge of diversity, I'm not sure – I can't remember what her name was, but, um, you know, they're all part of the committee with Polian and – Ted and uh, and George and you know I was like what what's going to be different this time and he really walked around the question but never really answered it. Oh, for sure, and he was asked multiple times. Yes, and was, was never really able to give. I mean, yes, there are new people 
involved in this decision, but only one of them is like a, a real football person. Not that there's absolutely like I think the soup Campo will add some value. Like yes, he he has a great feel for the locker room and the players yes. and the type of things they want. And of course, having a diversity coordinator, I don't remember her title, but like having someone to make sure that they're being like. Uh, fair in, in their interview practices absolutely like those are very valuable things to also have in the room but it's sort of this question of like okay well like how much weight did, does each of those people get in this five-person committee because i would think bill polian's weight uh, should should weigh the most and you know i, I mean i don't know george and ted uh, it's george's final decision so it feels like he's the one who probably has the most say here but it doesn't sure doesn't feel like he should and then and then really then if these other people are just there as as voices but not really contributing and it's still george's decision then yeah really how much is all that different and of course his answer sometimes was just well we can't we can't prove to bears fans with our words right now that why things are going to be better so you just got to wait for the results on the field it's like that's what we've been doing for two decades yeah and um that one really also kind of burned me was that uh you know, well, we're not going to be able to sell you on it from the, so why, from why, the beginning. Why bother? So trying, why bother? Right? Why bother? You know, you know, you we know you guys are, are dicks and you're not going to be happy no matter what we we do. We're not going to please you. So we'll just wait until we hire our guy and and let him, um, you know, let him and his results speak for themselves. And, and that's such a false premise, too. It really like, is. <laughs> I, I've seen, I've even seen like members of of Bears media kind of get indignant. So one in particular on Twitter, I'm not going to mention by name. I'm not trying to start beef with anybody, but right. like, it's kind of feeling like Bears fans are being too harsh on George and and all that kind of stuff. But it's like there there is like not that there's a foolproof way to do this, but like other teams don't have a chairman who's a fan. Being the sole decision maker, the, the, you know, on on these processes, it's not, it's not that it comes down to them. Like George could easily bring in Bill Polian and I don't know Ernie Corsi, bring in a whole panel of football guys and say, "Hey, you guys collectively help me with this decision." Instead, it's it's one person, Bill Polian, which is better than zero people helping him make the decision. But like he could take even more of the responsibility away from him and put it and, and empower more smarter football people that are football evaluators and not just saying I'm a fan, not a football evaluator, because that fan is making the decision, not the actual football evaluators. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, because the whole fan, I'm, I'm just a fan. I'm not a football evaluator thing. The, what, what was, what really burned me about that was when he was talking about, Nagy coming to him for advice on Justin Fields. Number one, I kind of found it um, a little disturbing that Nagy would go to him. Yes. Um, number two, I found an even bigger problem with the fact that he balked at the opportunity to chime in. That he just basically like, well, that's a coaching decision. That's up to you. Now, it's great that our coach had that kind of autonomy as far as uh, – you know, who plays and, and who doesn't uh, and everything. But if he's coming to you, he's offering. I mean, he doesn't have to do what you say, but knowing what your mind is and what where the coat, where the owner's head is at and or the chairman or whatever, um, you know, you don't pass on that opportunity. This is your football team. So how do you want your football team to look? Do you want me to start the rookie? Do you want me to play the rookie or do you want me to just keep walking right into this this storm because I, I want to go with the Red Rocket here and even though every fan on earth hates the idea, 
that's the way the way I think that we should be better served. What do you think? And he's like, nah, don't ask me, bro. That's your job. I go back and forth on this a little bit because it's like I if I'm if I'm gonna get mad at George for being the one so intimately involved in picking the GM and head coach without real football knowledge, which is a frustration. Just I mean, you're, you're part of the House family. You should know enough. Of, should you should what else are you doing at this time? Like you know, you should be learning about football. But like if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be mad at him for making these decisions without expertise, I don't want to then also be mad at him for not making the quarterback decision without expertise because I, I don't want him to mingle, right? I mean, I didn't like his answer to that question. He could yeah. have worded it differently. And, like, he, he should still feel comfortable to give Matt Nagy's opi- his opinion. Right? He doesn't well, I mean, like, even oh, if oh, you're just a fan, fans have opinions yeah. on these kind of things. So why not just give them your opinion? Exactly. And, and that's that's the nuance I'm looking for here, right? It's like, it's like you could say, you know what, Matt? You're the head coach, and it's your decision. But you know, I would like to see Justin Fields. I think I'm excited to see what Fields can do. But you know, I mean, like you can, there, there's a way you can answer Matt Nagy's question and and still respect, you know, the, the, your respective responsibilities and and who's got the expertise in what. But it is, I mean, it is, it is, you're right. It is your football team. Like yeah. you, you should have, you should you're allowed and should have opinions on things. It's just a matter of how much weight those opinions have, and, and they shouldn't have strong weight in who starts a quarterback, and they probably shouldn't have super strong weight in who's your general manager and head coach. Yeah, I mean, it's it just the fact that he just downright refused and even admitted it made him uncomfortable to have, yeah. to, have to be faced yeah. with that question was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Just really, really bad. Like I said, that's why I, I imagine the, the PR director probably resigned on Tuesday. Like, you know what? I'm not doing this. I'm done. When I go somewhere where they listen to me, you know, kind of thing. I mean, it was just, it was so bad. And and then, you know, uh, finally, so we don't spend all of our time uh, on this one. Um, oh, what was the other really big thing? Well, he talked, the other, a couple other things, like he talked about the, he, he kind of half called out Eddie Jackson and Jalen Johnson yeah. for not tackling receivers. That's not a great, I mean, like, it's valid criticism, yes. but you don't. I mean, PR wise, you don't call out your players. You know what I mean? It's just you don't do that. I mean, you know that. I mean, that's that was half the text messages between you and I was how he could have better worded what he just said. You know, like in that instance, he could have said something like, "Well, we were seeing the same problems or the same errors, same mistakes or whatever in week eighteen that we saw in week one." So, I mean, obviously, there's no progress. There, that was one of the reasons why we went ahead uh, and pulled the trigger. We're still making the same mistakes, uh, you know, at the start of, at the end of the season that we were at the start of them. Not flat out saying we had a member of our secondary not touch a receiver who was down uh, in week one, and then we had another member of our secondary not touch a receiver who was down in week eighteen. Like, just go ahead and call them out by the name, bro. We all know who was guilty of it. Uh, you know, in fact, it was two guys in week one. We were only down to one guy in week two or week 18. So that's some progress, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that's the thing. It's like he, he made such a, a a point to call out specific people because even I didn't realize it at first. It might have been in. The, I don't remember if it's when I went back and re-listened to it the second time, the beginning part that we missed or if it was right around there in the beginning. He also specifically called out in the positive light. David Montgomery and Darnell Mooney as two players like that worked hard. He's like, I'm proud of our players for playing well and, and not giving up to late the season, particularly David Montgomery and Darnell Mooney. And it, which, which kind of felt like in a vacuum. Fine, Did he throw but, a Roquan and, in there too? 
Uh, he mentioned Roquan, I think, later on. Or maybe it was, maybe it was no, it was David Montgomery and, and Roquan Smith. It wasn't yes, Darnell Mooney. Maybe was. that's what I'm mixing up. Yeah. But regardless, like, he's, he picked two players specifically to say positively, which is sort of like if I'm another player who thought I was playing hard, I kind of maybe feeling a little bit miffed that George picked them and not me. I mean, if I was Darnell, you know, if, if either he said, I think he said Montgomery and Roquan. So if, I, if I'm Darnell yeah, Mooney, I'm it's pretty like, sure hey, it was dude, Roquan, like, yeah. What, what about me? Or if I'm. Robert Quinn, like, hey, dude, I just set your franchise record. You're going to shout them out. But then on top of that, calling out other players, too. It's just like it's it's all those different things. Like, why are you why? Why are you why are you picking these specific players to, to highlight in both positive and negative ways? It's just, ah, man, it's frustrating. And uh, I feel bad for the PR guy, too, because it's like George is his boss. You're going to go to your boss and say, hey, dude, uh, you kind of screwed that one up. Or, hey, maybe you should do this. I mean, he's, he's your boss. I. You know, you know what's best. You own the team, dude. It's all you, man. I don't know. I mean, I would just spend the rest of that afternoon preparing him for what's coming, because it's like that I, was an absolute balls up disaster, uh, Mister McCaskey. Um, the rest of the day, because it's only one in the afternoon when this is happening. The rest of the day and all day tomorrow is going to be talking about you and how badly you handled this press conference. Period. The rest just, of the day. Yeah, the rest, the rest of that day and all day the next day is a couple of bottles of bourbon, I think. <laughs> so um, and the one other thing that that he did um, that was really bothering me was it was Adam Johns, I think, that asked him specifically if the next general if the next head coach or the next general manager comes in and says they don't like Justin Fields. Does that eliminate them from contention for the job? And he would not answer. The question, his his answer was his boilerplate answer was, I would be interested to hear what what thoughts they have on the quarterback position for the Chicago Bears. Which almost in a way is a way of saying that he's not all in on Justin Fields, or at least that's the way it can be interpreted by the fact that he didn't say. Well, that would definitely be something we would have to discuss or something that we would, you know, have to, you know, evaluate or 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 whatever. Instead, he just kept giving this blank answer that doesn't say yes or no, but also doesn't give support to the rookie quarterback who is definitely the future of that position. It, for me, it's a follow-up to the I'm a fan, not a football yes. evaluator. Yeah. Right? If, if he can't give his opinion to Matt Nagy on whether he wants to see Justin Fields start, then he's also not going to feel comfortable giving his – I mean, it's not that it's an – it's fully an opinion. It's not. It's not a one to one comparison there. But I think it's the same line of thinking of like, well, I'm, I, I don't, I don't know about football. I just own the damn team, so I can't tell these GMs whether they need to stick with this quarterback or not. And I mean, d- d- does part of you wonder if maybe there's a Bill Polian influence there in the sense that Bill evaluated the Bears organization from top to bottom, and Bill wasn't crazy about Justin Fields in the draft. I mean, not that he was saying he was going to be a bust necessarily, but like. He wasn't high on Justin Fields comparatively to Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, some of the other quarterbacks in the draft. And so it is, is Bill Polian in George's ear a little bit saying, hey, like maybe be open to yeah. Justin Fields not being the answer. And, and to be fair, we don't know yet for sure that Justin Fields is going to be a great quarterback. We have seen some great flashes along mm-hmm. the way. We've seen some rookie mistakes along the way, but like he hasn't done it consistently yet we all are excited for it and optimistic for it and see the path there 100 percent. this is not like an anti-justin fields position but 
you can much like Mitch in 2017 to 18 when they were looking to hire a new head coach. They didn't know whether Mitch was going to be good or not yet. And we don't for sure know exactly what's going to happen with Justin Fields. So there is there is a little bit of wiggle room there. But again, much better way you can answer that question to not leave everybody just hanging out to dry. Yeah. I mean, and he spent the entire press conference doing that. And I remember tweeting out, and this was before the whole Olin Krutz thing happened, was that, um, you know, this thing started out okay, but I just, this thing has really gone downhill since the media started holding his feet to the fire. And it's like, we're very, very close to this thing going off the rail. And I'm sure that others feel that it already has. Fast forward five minutes later with, uh, you know, him making, basically attacking Olin Krutz and his character. Uh, like, I mean, I, I remember specifically, like, I was reaching for my phone charger to plug in uh, my phone, and I I dropped the phone, I dropped the, the charging cord, the whole, like, did he just say that? And then when Hogue did the follow-up, so is it not true, he doubles down. You know, he just, he went all in on it, man. I mean, he must really be, you know, listening to, uh, you know, sports talk radio or watches the football after show or whatever, because Olin Krooch for like the last month has been, has not been talking about Nagy and his deficiencies, but more so because everybody knew that Nagy was a foregone conclusion that he's not coming back. The real problem is in the front office, the people making the decisions. That's what needs to be fixed. Not so much pace or Nagy, but the guys making the decisions because they've been doing this way longer. And since 1999, when Phillips took over, or even if you want to be more specific, since 2011, when McCaskey became the chairman, we've had like, what, one or two playoff appearances since 2011, and we've lost both of those games. The rest of it is a lot of mediocrity and and middle-of-the-road play when we've had some actually pretty talented rosters in that time. It's so hard to not point everything all the way up to the top when we go through the same things over and over again. Yeah. And the press conferences give us no evidence of, not no evidence, but limited evidence of anything being differently. Like it, to me, it, it feels like right now the best hope or bet is that like maybe they'll luck into a really good candidate. That's, right? It doesn't feel like the, the process that they're working on right now to find a head coach and GM is stellar. Not that there's a perfect process, but it just doesn't, leave you feeling super optimistic, but at least there's some hope that, you know, that they, they could just accidentally find the right one. And, and the other thing I'll give George credit for is that that press conference could have been him sitting next to Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace telling us why they deserve to be back for another year and why they still have faith in them. And I think that might have been a worse press conference, sure. but I'm not, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, that, would, that definitely would have been. And my, my best friend uh, has been paranoid about that since the Justin Fields trade. Because why would you let them make that trade if you were going to fire them after the first year? He thought that that at least bought them 2022. He was absolutely 100% convinced of it to the point where it's, it's just something he always brought up throughout the year, thinking that because they allowed him to trade away a first-round pick uh, in 2022, which ended up being a pretty damn expensive pick because of the way the season went. Um, but, you know, that first-rounder for next year, uh, and the extra fourth rounder on top of it, that that was proof that they told them, you go ahead and do this because you'll be around in 2022 to make sure this works out. I'm guessing Nagy and Pace 
both also thought it would give them at least 2022. Right. But, you know, the, the losing streak and all the other just things that went wrong this season from a pretty early point really kind of derailed everything. And definitely if if it had bought them that time, it certainly they lost it this season. And we don't know for sure either way what they're because they were always so weird about their contract status and they yeah. wouldn't. They wouldn't make that clear at all, and I, I, I would guess that maybe they didn't get the extensions, or else it would have been a particular distraction this season. Because otherwise, you know, why would they hide? If they had said, "Oh yeah, we're under contract through 2022," it wouldn't have really been a story at that well, point. If they had an extra year, so the fact that they didn't answer it suggests to me that maybe they were entering the last years of their deals, and maybe there was a little bit more uneasiness. Well, I mean, we all know that Nagy signed a five-year contract, so he was through 2022 no matter what. But the real question was, didn't. Because everyone kind of wondered, did Pace, because I think Pace's contract ended this year. And, you know, maybe did they, like when they hired Nagy, did they give him like a secret extension so they were here for the same amount of time? He wouldn't answer that question. So it's like, we're not asking you about, I mean, I remember it was Hub Arkish's question. He's just like, I'm not asking you about dollars and cents, bro. I don't need to know what your tax returns say. I just want to know, you know, are you, do, are you contracted through 2022? And they kept walking away from the question, like rather vigorously at times uh, as well. That was super weird about last year's press conference. One of the many, many things yes. super weird about last year's press conference and why we kind of thought it would be hard to top this year. But, yeah, it's at least we don't have to be wringing our hands about that mystery anymore. Right, right. So Pace's, Pace's gout, uh, Nagy is, is gone. I mean, that's basically been set in stone since, what, Cleveland maybe? I mean <laughs> – <laughs> oh, the way they handled that game, it, oh. we're pretty sure at that point. Did you hear what James Daniel said? I, I heard the stuff about Kirk Ferentz, but I don't remember anything beyond James that. James Daniels came out and talked about, said something in regard of like, uh, you know, basically um, giving it to the coaching staff. Where it's like when you have a Hall of Famer at left tackle and you're not giving them help, or it's like when I'm watching, you know, a, like an undrafted tackle uh, you know, on uh, against the uh, you know uh, on another team, and he's getting chip help. But you know, you have our our you know future Hall of Fame tackle going up against one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, and he's not getting any help. He's getting no chips, no nothing. You know, he that this is like, dude, I just he just like went all in on it. Like it's like, well, those guys are gone. I can say whatever I want now, and he kind of let him have it. He's getting, James is a free agent too, so he, maybe he doesn't. You know what? That's true. He is. He just finished his uh, rookie deal. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of like, well, I would say there's a lot of nothing to lose there. I mean, because he he can go play anywhere else if he wants to this offseason. I mean, yeah, I, I hadn't heard that quote. It's I'm really surprised because like with Juan Castillo and Harry, he stand before them, right? Like really well regarded, known to be or thought to be among the offensive line community. Uh, high quality offensive line coaches that were the bears were praised for bringing in both of them. And, and in neither case did it feel like the bears had much success developing offensive linemen or putting their offensive line in the best position to be successful. And I and think that's, that's where the true weakness was, was, I mean, and I think that became more apparent this year was not putting yeah. the team in the best position to succeed, not just the offensive line, literally everybody on offense. I mean, Allen Robinson is the richest guy to ever catch 30 balls in a, in a season and probably NFL history. He made nearly $18 million to catch like 38 balls for 350 yards and one touchdown, which was on the opening drive of the Cincinnati Bengal game. Week two. 
Okay, he hasn't caught a touchdown pass since the opening drive, the first quarter of week number two. He that's the last time Allen Robinson scored a point for the Chicago Bears. Part of that is that the offense in general couldn't score touchdowns. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> you know what I mean, like Darnell Mooney had a great year and finished with four. I think. Something I mean, like yeah, it was so much. I mean, so rough everywhere. I mean, David. It was like David Montgomery, Darnell Mooney, and and that was it. Yeah, I mean, it literally, it literally was. I mean, it just, it was painful uh, to watch at times. I mean, let's see, Montgomery finished 849 yards, and that was missing four games with the knee injury. Mooney, 81 catches, 1,055 yards, four touchdowns, like you said. Robinson, 38 catches, 410 yards. So he broke 400 uh, yards and one touchdown, like I said. So I didn't miss any. Jimmy Graham, who had nine touchdowns last year, only three because all of a sudden – I mean, did we pay Jimmy Graham $9 million to be a coach or something? Because going into like week 12 against the, 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 the Lions or something, he had like one catch, in the, and that was week one against the Rams. I mean, I don't – what the hell do we keep Jimmy Graham around for? Like why is Kyle Fuller a Denver Bronco and J- Jimmy Graham is a Bear for, for how they were used? Like why did we get rid of a, somebody in the secondary we know we can use and then not use Jimmy Graham and pay him only ten, um, about $10 million this year? Uh, those big red zone targets scored a whole three touchdowns this yeah, season. Three. Money well spent. Three that's touchdowns. That's what they used him for, right? I mean, it was it was just like line him up one on one on the outside and throw a jump ball, and he caught three of them, and that's that's cool, I guess. But there were other twenty other passes thrown his way that he didn't do much with. Yeah, I mean, he only ended up with uh, where's he at? Where'd he go? Jimmy Graham. Fourteen catches, hundred sixty-seven yards. Yeah, I got fourteen it. catches. You know, basically he had one great game is basically what happened. 14 catches and three touchdowns. That's not a season. Not for a guy who's probably going to the Hall of Fame for everything he did before he got to Chicago. So but remember how Matt Nagy raved about oh, Jimmy Graham. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be, he's going to, I didn't say he's going to unlock the offense, but it was like, oh man, we're excited for Jimmy Graham. He's going to be that guy. Just like Cordell Patterson was the year before. Yeah. And of course, Patterson goes on to Atlanta and oh, lo and behold, is that guy if a coach knows how to use him. But Matt, that's, that's the thing is like, can you think of an offensive player through the Matt Nagy era that like truly got noticeably better, right? Like David Montgomery and Darna Mooney both have improved, but when they came in as rookies, they both were very, very good out of college right away as rookies. And they improved as you do generally as you get more experience in the NFL. But I couldn't think of a single player that like came to Chicago and was a certain level and then like has gone through the Matt Nagy system here and got noticeably better offensively. Defensively, sure, but with under Nagy's tutelage. Any players come to mind? No, not a single one, man. Komet hasn't really developed. Offensive linemen no. haven't. I mean, it's been up and down from Daniels and Whitehair. And yeah. but it's like the rookies that come in and play really, really well as rookies. Yeah. But like all the other veterans that come in, I mean, kind of mediocre. Robinson regresses. Jimmy Graham regresses. I mean, Jason Peters got better as the year went on. But again, he came in as Jason Peters. Like that doesn't, yeah. doesn't really count. It's just there was no player development on offense. Fangio did it defensively. Sure. hundred percent. But that's not that's not naggy. Right. I mean, I just, I mean, if, if there was anybody that I could give the game ball for 2021 to, it would be Jason Peters. I mean, what he did and, and how he came in, the situation he walked into, and what he was able to deliver for the Bears this year was truly remarkable. I mean, it was like, great, Jason Peters, that might sell some tickets and maybe in a few jerseys, a future Hall of Famer wearing a Bear 
uh, uniform, kind of like when we had our cup of coffee with Orlando Pace uh, back in the day. But, uh, you know, I, I expected as much from Jason Peters as we got from Orlando Pace. He did not finish the season as our starting left tackle. And Jason Peters, for someone who spent more time on IR the last three or four years in Philadelphia, for him to only miss, like, what, two or three games this year and to be healthy and productive for the most part was truly amazing, in, in my opinion. Yeah, f- 15 games played. I mean, it's the most he's played since 2018. I was I had low expectations, too. Like, I, I knew as soon as they activated Tevin Jenkins back from IR, I'm like, well, at some point Peters is going to get hurt and Jenkins is going to get back in there. I just I guess I didn't anticipate Peters coming back and still playing as much as he did. That was the other aggravating part. And, and, and I've said this on the show for the last few weeks. Um, why wasn't Tevin Jenkins starting? The, like the last few weeks when it's a foregone conclusion that the season is over. Even if you wanted to wait until, you know, when do we finally get eliminated? When we're like four and nine, four and 10, whatever it was that we were officially eliminated. I think it was the Packer game, wasn't it? We were officially eliminated from playoff contention. That sounds right to me. I or no, yeah, because we were definitely eliminated in the Vikings game because the Vikings were still tackling it up, but the Bears were not at that point. So it was either the Cardinals or the Packers game, but I think the Packers did it. I think it was the Packers that that knocked us out because now we, we've lost nine games or, or, or whatever it is. We're officially a losing football team, and, and you know, it's done uh, kind of thing. So, you know, Tevin Jenkins, that was where Tevin Jenkins came off the bench because Peters got hurt in the first quarter. Uh, of the game, and he struggled, as everyone expected him to. Number one, he's been thrown out there cold. Uh, he's going up against one of the best pass rushers in, in Preston Smith and, uh, you know, in the Packers. He's got some penalties and uh, and everything, and the fact that he made it through the game was remarkable enough, and he still had his some good moments uh, and everything. But once Peters was healthy, they put Peters back in there. And it's like, I have no problem with just Jason Peters playing, none whatsoever, if it's still a season. The season's over. We should be far more focused on 2022 and beyond, even though we all know Nagy's not supposed to be here. Your job is to coach this football team. And instead, Nagy kept putting the guys out there. We're going to give him a chance to win like it matters, as opposed to developing players, which you and I just established. He did not do a very good job of in his four years with this team. And I was curious because you know I'd seen a, Brad Spielberger, PFF Brad on Twitter, he's, he's covers, I mean, he follows the Bears, but is a real salary cap guy. He had tweeted out, he thought that maybe they were playing Peters and some of the other veterans because Ryan Pace was assuming he was keeping his job. And it shows veteran free agents that say, hey, if you come and sign here, we will give you playing time. And we're not just going to bench you for the rookies that we're, that you're going to be able to play the whole season and put more tape out there for other teams to see and of course just like get to play football and that's what you signed here to do is to play football and that maybe it was an indication of pace feeling some sort of job security there but i just i i'm, I'm in your boat 100 percent. like as much as peters is a respected future hall of fame offensive lineman a great career that he had he's a mercenary here right the bears brought yeah. him in off the street off the fishing boat like, yeah he was, he's going back boat. to his boat dude he's done he's going back to his boat and if somebody calls next year great if not he'll be fishing next year they, they don't they don't owe him anything the Nothing. eagles the eagles owe jason peters respect to the very end right if he if he's a guy who's been in your organization for a decade and you know you're, you're letting him play out his last season at the team because he's going to retire and you want to let him have that dignity sure but this guy has no connections to the bears in chicago he, he literally just came in to to fill a role and to collect a paycheck and to play well absolutely but then at that point it's like sorry dude but like 
cut him if you have to. I mean, if he wants to go play somewhere else late in the season, fine. But like cut him, but like get Tevin Jenkins out there because it's way, way more important for your team to have Jenkins out there than it is to have Peters. Yeah, I mean, it's just. So let's talk about the second half of this season, Lauren. When uh, when last we we saw our heroes, as in you and I, speaking at the midseason point. Number one, we couldn't get over the Cassius Marsh taunting penalty that basically ruined the game uh, in Pittsburgh, among a few other calls that the referees made. By the way, Tony Carrenti is retiring, so he's going to get a chance to screw us next year. Um, but going forward from there, where where you know, the, the Pittsburgh Steeler loss was number four. Um, we had just spent the last four weeks, Green Bay, well, three out of the last four, because Tampa Bay was a disaster from the beginning, but Green Bay, San Francisco, and Pittsburgh were all football games where the offense either had the lead or they had a chance or they had momentum, and all they needed was the defense to make a stop to get us the ball back to see if we could go win the game or maintain the lead or what have you. Defense let us down each and every time. We get down to the second half, week one of the second half against Baltimore. The football gods gave us a layup, Lauren. They gave us a layup. No Hollywood Brown, no, no Lamar Jackson, uh, and uh, not and, and a few other things. And we're at home, horrible, you know, cold weather day, and all that kind of stuff. And we somehow managed thirteen points against this mortally wounded football team. And just and again, we take the lead late, and or was it? Did we tie? No, we do we take the lead or we no we tied. 13-13. Yeah, we tied it up with that unbelievable throw to Marquise Goodwin. And we need the defense to make one stop to either send this thing to overtime or get us the ball back so we can go try to win this thing. And for a defense that has played as well, I mean, Robert Quinn had three and a half sacks in this game. He was all over the place in this ball game. You saw the deficit in the coaching from what – the Ravens were able to get Tyler Hundley ready to do on short and like literally found out at breakfast he was playing that day versus what Andy Dalton was able to come off the bench and do in, when Justin Fields got hurt or, you know, just what Justin Fields did throughout the season because he didn't get any chance to prepare in the preseason or in training camp or whatever with the starters and whatnot. Just seeing the deficit of, you know, Matt Nagy not having a plan B throughout 2021 and as you know this was the first game out of the bye week so we shouldn't have had our expectations so high right of course <laughs> just part of the problem there and actually to correct the the bears took the lead they went up four on the it was 13 seven or no 13 regardless the, the ravens scored a game-winning touchdown at the end to that's win right. by three so the bears would have been that's up right. four or then so 13 nine 13 nine i believe that's that what point. it was yeah you're right 13 to 13 to nine yeah regardless I mean, this was Tyler Huntley's first career start, his first game of like real NFL action, and the Bears just were unable to stop much of. I mean, not that he tore him up. I mean, his stat line didn't didn't you know light the world on fire, but just to, to, the generally speaking, the inability to be able to stop that is just it's it's inexcusable. I mean, more so the offense. Like defensively, yes, the late touchdown was frustrating, but you gave up 16 points. I, mean, I think the number one defense in the NFL this season allowed 17 points a game. So, like, allowing 16 points is a winnable defensive performance. Even though it didn't feel good at the end, it was a winnable start-to-finish defensive performance. Your offense just has to score more than 16 points. 
and the inability to do so again coming out of the bye week. Yeah. Just, I mean, so, it's I mean, so that's what what really stung was, you know, we 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 thought we had a good chance with the Raven team just because they'd been so up and down inconsistent. They were the most schizophrenic 6 and 3 team in the league when when they when they came in. Uh, it just gotten, you know, taken to the woodshed by the Miami Dolphins, who at the time, you know, I think were only maybe a game or two into that seven-game winning streak. So it was a really big shock the way the Dolphins dominated them in that one game. The Bears have been kind of up and down, but we're playing at home. No Lamar Jackson, no Hollywood Brown. Like, they're two best players uh, on offense, not to mention all the guys on IR and everything that the, that they, you know, have got on the on the team. We thought we had a really good chance, but of course we're coming off Dubai, and this is the this performance that you put on the field after two weeks of preparation and the help from the football gods taking probably the best young quarterback in the NFL out of the equation the day of the game. And and this is right after the the Ravens had lost to the Dolphins in a game where it seemed like everybody figured out how to stop the Ravens. I mean they. Yes. they Blitz the heck out of Lamar Jackson. They knew that everyone knew the Ravens defensive coordinator blitzes a ton. So of course they're going to blitz a ton against you know a statuesque quarterback like Andy Dalton. Like this, it was it was so not that it was not that it was going to be easy to beat a six and three Ravens team. No, but like everything was there. Right? It's one thing when you lose to the Packers or whatever. And it's like yeah, the Packers are the better team, and they you know we don't have an answer for Aaron Rodgers. Like of course no one has an answer for Aaron Rodgers, but like. This is not this this is not in that boat any, anywhere close to that boat. And it's the same kind of thing like against the Lions even the following week where like it was still a little little close for comfort there when the Lions take a second half lead. You know, it's like it's just so it, it just it's so representative of the problems and why it, it was so clear that the firing was gonna happen. Yes. And why um you know, speaking of that week, you know, because we went with the Ravens and then no, you know, no time for a break because we got the Lions on Thanksgiving Day. Um, talking about the, you know, the the report that broke that Nagy's going to get fired after the um, Thanksgiving game, and the that broke like on like Sunday after the Ravens game, or like right before something like that. And the McCaskies waited until like Wednesday to address the rumor slash story or 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 whatever. Um, they didn't do anything about it. And then it was, you know, oh, we, we addressed the team and told them that it wasn't true. It was like, why does, you know, why does the team have to be, why does and the team doesn't care? You know, they have a football game to win. This is more about, you know, honestly, who cares? The fans care because we want this guy gone. So is, is this true? Do you know, are we throwing his ass out after the game, win or lose or, or whatever? And t- Lauren, I'll be damned. If we didn't almost lose this game uh, to the to the Lions, I mean, honestly, I thought it would be so perfect because Nagy literally waited until the clock was down to one second to call that timeout. I I literally th- I thought it would have been so perfect if he would have just screwed it up and not called the timeout, and the clock goes to zero. I'm like, oh, well, that's it. Sorry, no, I meant to call a timeout. Yeah, well, you didn't. So ball game's over. Lions win. So. Or how about when you get to the four-yard line, you try handing it off a couple of times instead of taking three knees in the Dude, field goal. don't get me you started. Know? I just, it was, I mean, and here's what's so beautiful about it, was that the Lions lined their way at the very end of this football game. They managed to call four timeouts during this stretch 
Number one of which gave us, you know, the, he called literally called back to back timeouts, which is against the rules. We got a you know a free five yards for it. Then he calls another timeout after that, but that time Nagy beat him to the punch, so that when he actually got saved the last time, and then calls another timeout like on the very next play after that. I mean, he call, he had all three timeouts with like a minute to go in the game. He burned them all in like 30 seconds, if it was even that long, and somehow still managed to just wait until the very, literally the last second to call a timeout, which left us no room for error whatsoever, bad snap, anything like that. No, we're, we're, we're going all in, and we know Cairo Santos can make the kick, but it's weird, you know, weird things happen, especially when you're a bad football team. Things go sideways on you at the last minute, and God only knows if, I mean, I just would have laughed my way uh, you know, just would have laughed myself silly if something had gone wrong and we blew that game to give the Lions their first win of the season. After what was a, what, an eight-minute, however, you know, 75-yard drive, whatever that was, I mean, they started backed up in their own territory mm-hmm. and worked all the way down to the goal line, took three knees to attempt the field goal, which is just the most pathetic, soft attempt of trying to be an aggressive football team. And yeah. it would it would have just been perfect. I mean, it really would have had they had they messed that up some way shape or form but instead you you barely escape with a win over the lowly Detroit Lions and you feel super proud of it and I, I guess I mean it, it ended the losing streak so that's that's something but it, it you know it didn't turn into a winning streak it just started a new losing streak after that yeah it was our first victory in 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 seven weeks October 10th over the Raiders was our last win and we won that game November 25th so Month and a half. Month and a half. Six weeks, six and a half, something like that. Um, between victories is a long time. I mean, is Club Dub, was that even a thing towards the end of the season? I mean, did we have Club Dub against the Seahawks and the Giants at the end of the season? I I think so, but it, it feels embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're four and nine and you beat the five and ten Seahawks. I mean, you celebrate the win because it was exciting as hell at the end uh, when we, you know, came back and did it. That crazy catch from Demir Bird on the on the two pointer and everything. Yeah. But are you really club dubbing it up after that win against the Seahawks? Are you club dubbing that you beat the Giants? Who like me and you and nine of our closest friends could beat the Giants in a football game right now, Lauren? I mean, that is not a football team out there in New York. I mean, did you see the the? Uh, the, the quarterback sneak from their own four-yard line against the Washington on Sunday. How pathetic was that? I, I can't believe we saw it in a college – I mean, in an NFL game. Like, an NFL coach with NFL – like, how does – I mean, I get they had – what was it, Jake Fromm at third-string quarterback in there at that point. So, like, well, what kind of room does he have to, like, audible? But, like, if – you would think most self-respecting quarterbacks would say – it would look at the sideline – and say screw you and like get an on the field revolt going like we're gonna we're gonna sneak like it's one thing if you just want to hand it off three times sure yeah. but just to sneak I mean it's another team but like good god I mean I mean the Giants the Giants were a constant reminder for me of like hey like the Bears are embarrassing and not a good football team but holy hell can it get worse it would be so much so much worse because that game in Chicago was absolutely pathetic I mean we did not have a good football team. This year, whether it was, you know, coaching or players or COVID or injuries or whatever, the circumstances that that caused the Bears to not be the team we wanted them to be this year. But the way the Giants played in that game, 
was, I mean, it was shocking at times, like how they just refused to throw the ball. I mean, they had good reason not to throw the ball because every time Mike Lennon went back to throw, if it wasn't nearly picked off and or picked off, uh, he was buried underneath a pile of Chicago Bears because <laughs> their offensive line forgot to show up for work for that day. I mean, and then at the same time, Saquon Barkley ran for 100 yards on us. So, I mean, it was just like, what the hell's going on with this football team? They run the ball so well. But, I mean, they don't run it so well that that's all they should be doing. That one touch, that one drive where they kicked a field goal, they ran the ball on third and 10. So, I mean, it's just it was so shocking watching this, like, I mean, and I thought the Bears were frustrating. God damn, this was awful. It, it was part of, because it was Glennon specifically. It was almost like a reminder of where the Bears have come from, like how <laughs> how far they've gotten. Not that they've gotten far, but they have gotten gotten past that, which is something. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was bad. So we had the the Baltimore loss. I mean, that was. I mean, if that's where it was, like everyone was really pounding the table. Nagy's got to go. Nagy absolutely has to go. Two weeks, and this is two weeks, and you score thirteen points against a shorthanded football team that's without two of its best players uh, on offense, and I think they were even missing guys on the offensive line uh, for that game uh, as well. I mean, and the proof was in the pudding. We sacked that kid six times, but he was also twenty six of thirty six, and was all of a sudden Dan Marino on that final drive, just sling or John Elway more specifically. He was really good with the fourth quarter comeback, just slinging it all over the field there at the end. Then the brain fart in the secondary, leaving that guy wide open to get him inside the three yard line. I mean, it's just like what? this is t- two weeks of preparation, and this is what we do. And you know, never mind. Like, do you, do you even remember that Robert Quinn had three and a half sacks before I reminded you? I mean, it no. was it was completely buried in that. Uh, you know, it just buried in the fact that it was the choke job that we had there uh, at the end. And uh, how many games in the second half of this? Because it really seemed like Sean Desai was getting it together as far as getting a more consistent performance out of his defense. And now it was where, like, in the first half of the season, it was the defense that kept letting the offense down. Then in the second half of the season, it was all about the offense letting the defense down. And the defense was was giving us victory-worthy performances in the second half, but the offense just couldn't put it together. That, which told so much of the story of, of the Matt Nagy era. You know what I mean? Not only just like every bye week having the same problems, but then how many times that the offense unable to really take advantage of what the defense was able to provide for it. It's just, it, it was so clear as the same trends were emerging. It wasn't like the Bears were you know, bad in different ways necessarily where it's like, okay, they figured the offense thing up and now they got this other problem to figure out. And then you can kind of go to Nagy and say, all right, Nagy's made progress in this or this area. And we're just now having trouble in this area. And we can, we can sort of see still working on that because we're seeing progress elsewhere, but just no more, more of the same all along. Yeah. I mean, and, and just um, the frustration throughout, especially the last two years where they finally acquiesced to running the football more. Every time David Montgomery seemed to start getting something going, he comes off the field. I mean, just this past Sunday against the Vikings, we had three fourth and one situations, and David Montgomery wasn't on the field for any of them. You know, we threw the ball all three times. Like, we don't have David Montgomery on our team. So I just, like, I, I mean, we're, we're, I was lucky that I was at my dad's house because I wasn't going to throw a brick at his television. <laughs> but I just, 
I mean, that's that's how anger-inducing it ha- it has been watching Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor run this offense. It really, it it just really never never got better. I mean, it was the same mistakes over and over again with the running game because it what was it last year, two years ago was the Chargers game where they only handed it off to seven or nine times or whatever. That was the just, Saints game the week before. Saints game, yeah, it's just the same mistakes over and over again, and that's that that's what doomed this team and what doomed this coaching staff and and why they lost five in a row and then three more in a row and and was already resigned to change. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean. That that Saints game, and and that one still sticks with me because it was Walter Payton Appreciation Day, like it yeah. was Walter Payton Bobblehead Day. We ran the ball seven times in a football game that was a one score game until like midway through the third quarter. It's like there was no reason for Mitch to throw fifty four passes in that game, not a single one. So I mean, it just we ran the ball five times in the first half and then only ran it twice in the second half, in a game that we were in until late in the third quarter. Then fast forward a week later, we run the power eye pretty much the whole game against the Chargers. Montgomery has 150 yards and two touchdowns. And what does Nagy say afterwards? I didn't come here to run the power eye. You sure about that, bro? Because your team just killed it doing that today. You know, and it just, it was the, just the tone deaf. That was really where it kind of, you know, uh, reeked his head for the very first time, and it's been that way ever since. Ever since then, it's just been this tone-deaf response, and it just seems like every time he was supposed to zig, he zagged, and he got it wrong every single time. And it comes full circle when Week 18 against the Vikings. Andy Dalton attempts 48 passes in a game you were leading at halftime, 14-3? to 14-3, yeah, something like that. 14, yeah, 14-3. to three. It was 14-3. to three. You're up two scores at the half, and in that whole game, you passed 48 times. I think second half pass run was like 26 to 9 was the run-pass ratio, I think, in the second half of a game you were leading. Going into the fourth quarter, we were up 17-10 going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, and then the wheels right. And then the wheels came off there in the uh, fourth quarter, and the effort on that pick six from Patrick Peterson. Like, uh, Dalton just standing there. With Dalton just standing up. there, and basically nobody chasing Patrick Peterson except for his goddamn teammates. That was basically the only people running after Patrick Peterson on that pick six. It was it was a pathetic display. Like that's where they. That's I mean you 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 we were giving Nagy all this credit up to that point for the fact that they were giving a great effort. These guys hadn't quit. They quit on that play. They quit. There nobody was running after Peterson. On that pick six, he went into the end zone escorted by five of his teammates. That was not that it was not that anything had had been decided at that point, but like that was a very real like, yep, this is over. Like we knew it was over. Like we knew Matt Nagy was fired. We knew the chains were coming, but like that was finally the sort of like, yeah, like the 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 the, the final nail in the coffin. I mean, that, that, that there had already been a final nail in the coffin, but you know what I mean? Like that was sort of like the the icing on top of the bow. You wrapped the bow on on the Nagy firing of just like, okay, this is where they've quit. Like for a while they were still holding on and fighting hard, but it's like, nope, this is where it's truly over. Yeah, because both Viking games this year, go back and look at the stats. According to the stats, we beat the unholy piss out of Minnesota. We had more passing yards, more rushing yards, time of possession, way more first downs, but somehow we lost both of those games. Um, you know, well, I technically the first game was a one score 
game, but we lost that one 17 to three. I don't count that last touchdown at the buzzer, if you will. And then 31 to 17, uh, this past Sunday that, you know, the, the, they don't line up with each other. The scoreboard does not line up with the stats at all. And, you know, I, I, I feel like we played two games against the Vikings. We beat, we lost more than the Vikings beat us in either of those football games. And they got a sweep on us this year. Yeah. I mean, the bears beat themselves twice and the Vikings sure. got the W. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what happened. I mean, and, and the funny thing was I was going into this, like, are we playing for second place? Because if we win, we're seven and 10. They're seven and 10. We're both three and three in the division. We're both five and seven in the conference. If we, are we going to win second place after all, like after everything, are we going to finish in second place? And you know, the Vikings took care of it for us by, uh, you know, showing, looking like a real football team in the fourth quarter uh, and, and beating us up to, uh, to, to, for us not to have to worry. We're going to get that third place schedule so we get to play the Texans instead of the Colts uh, out of the AFC South next year. It would have been a really a real strong second place club dub too, though. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. One, one, last, uh, one last club dub you see, you know, would have been the Instagram uh, or the li- Instagram live videos of Nagy running around pouring champagne on himself naked in the locker room because what, what difference does it make at this point, you know? What do you got to lose? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why not? He's, he's just going to go back and work for Andy Reid or be, uh, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence's quarterback coach in Jack in Jacksonville next year or, or whatever. So, you know, <laughs> this episode of the bears talk underground is brought to you by the Spotify green room guys. Spotify green room is free audio only social media platform for sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. Join in on conversations with me at club 34 seven and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast. I'll be hosting rooms every week. Uh, for Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Come through and talk to me live on Club 34-7. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Follow me at Larry D-E-E to be notified when my room goes live. And again, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, you can join me on the Spotify Green Room for Club 34-7. Come in, let's have a conversation, let's talk bears, let's talk whatever you want. But in order to do that, you got to download the Spotify Green Room anywhere you get your apps. <laughs> it's finally over, man. I mean, this is something that we wanted last year. Like, we, I didn't want Nagy. Uh, quite frankly, I didn't want Pace, to be honest with you. I, I, was, I was kind of in that, let's just go ahead and start over, uh, you know, after last year. So we had to in, endure this season where... Literally no one cared about this team, even Chicago fans. No, nobody was excited about 2021 until draft day. Then we get our hands on Justin Fields. Now all of a sudden, we still probably won't be a good football team, but at least we got something interesting. We, we've got a quarterback now, or, or one that we're going to look into, and, and you know, just, just not to beat a dead horse, man, but it just, I can't imagine Nagy screwing this up any worse than he did. Like, like I said, he just, he had no plan B. He did not give any reps whatsoever to Justin Fields. Like Andy Dalton has not had an, a day of injury in his entire career. And he was just going to be our starter for 17 weeks. And Justin Fields is going to sit back and learn and become the next Pat Mahomes. 
uh, and everything was going to be great. And then six quarters into the season, Dalton buckles his knee. He's out for a couple of weeks. And guess what? Here's plan B that you have not been preparing for, not even a little bit. And what we got, what we got. It was like Nagy never accounted for the possibility that, that he could be wrong. Right. I mean, and like, it's good to be confident and, and have, you know, and have conviction about the decisions. And you, you should be confident in the decisions you're making as an NFL head coach. But like, you got to prepare for the alternatives too, right? I mean, and, and it just, it was like, oh, no, well, Andy Dalton's our starter. So like, well, that will be great with Dalton. It'll be fine. And like, oh, like, we don't need to. We don't need to stick to the running game this way because the passing game will be fine. I mean, it's just so many different things of just like, oh, I didn't come here to be an eye formation guy. I, I came here to do my thing. And so we're going to do my way and and to not account for being wrong or not even necessarily completely wrong, but just things not going exactly the way you think they might. It's just uh, you know, he always said there's no egos, but uh, is that not ego or, or was, is it just yeah. foolishness? I mean, maybe it's not maybe it's not purely ego, but it's something wrong for sure. I mean, and, and, and I've brought this up a thousand times since he said it, but Olin Krutz said something after the Lions game when we, that was our, our, you know, the sixth loss in the sixth game losing streak last year. And he said, I'm, I'm convinced that Matt Nagy isn't so much worried about winning as he is worried about winning his way. Or like, being right. Yeah. yeah like nothing, same- nothing about Nagy made more sense after he said that. It was like, that explains literally everything that Nagy has ever done. It's not so much about winning because winning means you put your team in the best position to succeed. Like last year in 2020, I remember like the Rams game specifically, we were, you know, not giving our offensive line men any help, which was became a major theme this year, but not giving our offensive line any help. And we missed out on like a 95 yard touchdown to Darno Mooney because Nick Foles had to throw it before he was ready when Mooney had literally faked the shoes off of Jalen Ramsey and was wide open down the sideline. Ugh, don't you remind know. me. You remember Shoot. that? Yeah. Ah, that would have such, I mean, it's such a huge play. And it just, but so many moments like that throughout the last couple of years, especially because um, it just, so many moments like that. You just go back and you look and it's just like nothing makes, I mean, what, what happened lines up exactly with what Olin said. It's not so much worried about winning so much as he is worried about winning his way. And then what, what really surprised me was a few weeks ago when, when Laser was out there talking about, you know, throwing Tevin Jenkins to the Wolves in the, in the Packer game. It was like nobody feels sorry for No one's going to feel sorry for, for Tevin Jenkins. You know, he, we, we brought him in because we, can, we, think we, we think he can play. It's like, well, he's a rookie who hasn't played a live football game in 13 months, and you left him out on an island with Preston Smith. What did you think was going to happen? You know, just literally pulled him off the bench. This is his first game. It's only his second game because he played some field goal snaps against the Cardinals the week before. But, you know, his first real live action since he opted out of the season at Oklahoma State last year. And you think he's going to go head-to-head with with one of the Smith brothers there in, in Green Bay? You're out of your mind. Yeah, it's like arrogance there. Yeah. I mean, it's just how how do you not – it it really does come back to the same sentence. It's like it's like then that's also like laser talking about. It's, it's the cultural organization there of like winning our way as opposed to just doing what's what's best. Like oh like we're we're not gonna help Tevin Jenkins enough because we need him to be better. Well, it's like well he's not right now, and so 
what are you going to do about it? And the, and the answer was always nothing. It was just they never had a, a what are you going to do about it when it turned out that they couldn't win particularly the way that they wanted to. I mean, over and over again. Over and over again. I mean, it just – but you look around the league and you see teams making adjustments to put themselves in the best position to win a football game. My favorite example this year – I mean, he's done it so many times over the last 20 years, but Belichick, you know – in Buffalo on that Monday night game with those horrible, horrible weather conditions and, you know, the typhoon winds or hurricane winds or whatever uh, they were. And they attempted three. I think Mac Jones was one for three in that game and they ran the ball, you know, whatever it was, how many times they did in that game, because that's what the conditions called for. So that's what we're going to do. This is what we need to do in order to win. They put themselves in that spot and, they won the game. They went out there and they won the game while, while you know, the Bills were more of a naggy and company still trying to throw the football into those windy-ass uh, conditions, trying to run their offense in those conditions where Belichick did what the conditions asked for, and he was the one that walked away with the W. So are you ready then to hire Bill, uh, to Brian Dable as your Bears head coach then? <laughs> Throw into that wind, huh? Uh, you know, I don't know, man. I, I mean – that one kind of comes down to how much of that was was Dable and then, and, and, you know, was how much of that is on Sean McDermott for letting him do it, you know, that kind of thing. It, and it's there's some layers to deal with there. I mean, but you can also look back at, you know, fast forward a few weeks later in regular weather conditions against the Patriots. They went out there and ragdolled them in Foxborough. So, I mean, it just, you know, there's there's tit for tat on that one, but it's just about. Like you said, putting your team in the best position to win, that's my favorite example for the year is that if we only can throw the ball three times in this football game, if that's what it's going to take for us to win, we're going to run the football, we're going to play defense, and we're going to play small ball in this game and see what happens. And the Patriots came away with the W. Or just look at like just the Ravens themselves. They restructured their entire football team to support Lamar Jackson. And it's been more positive results than negative. You know, I mean, this year was a real bad year for them with injuries. I mean, even Lamar Jackson missed a lot of time, uh, you know, with COVID. And then he also had, I don't know, he wasn't COVID. He was sick for the Bears game. It wasn't COVID. But, I mean, he had the ankle injury. He missed like the last month of the season uh, and everything. And Tyler Huntley, you know, almost beat the Packers a few weeks ago for, for all of his heroics and everything. He almost beat Green Bay. Uh, in that in that one football game and doing what they need to do to get him and you know running the offense that best suits him as opposed to running their offense regardless of whether or not he's fitting into it it it's it felt like we we maybe saw a turning point on this last year when they switched to Bill Lazor and had Trubisky's offense completely changed to help them win games on the stretch and we're like oh well maybe Nagy is learning to try and win in other ways instead of just his way and and his inability to then like learn that lesson permanently and not translate that to this season. I mean, that's the story. Yeah. I mean, and we knew that from the, because he announced that the press conference from hell last year, that he'll be calling the plays in 2021. It's like, okay. So he didn't learn a goddamn thing. He did not learn a thing from the fact that we actually had an offense that scored points for a change and, you know, put ourselves in the best position to, to win and we're going to go back to you doing your thing next year and then three weeks into the season he's handing over play calling to bill laser so 
Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was all a waste, man. This all could have been avoided if we'd have just pulled the ripcord on this last year. So, I mean, who do we miss out on? I mean, who could be the head coach of the Bears right now if we'd have done it then? Urban Meyer? (laughs) (laughs) Matt Rule? I mean, yeah. uh, I don't think it was a pretty decent crop of coaches, was it? Robert Sala? Maybe. Okay. That would have been interesting. David Cully? Nah, not yeah, so much. Or Arthur Smith, the Falcons. Um, Arthur Smith, yeah. Not, so, a, not a great. Yeah. But but I'm not crazy about that. I mean, we'll, and we'll probably have time to get this later on, but like, not a great crop. I'm not in love with the, the candidate pool this year. There's a few names, but not... It's not like a deep group of like, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool if this guy or that guy or all these guys could be the Bears head coach? Ooh, which one do we get to pick from? It's more like, eh, which one, which one, has, which one has the fewest flaws? Like, which one do I think has the – which one can I live with the most? It's a little bit – not, not as thrilled about it this time around. Where do you stand on Harbaugh? I – again, because of the quality of candidate pools, I'm in. I, I just – I think a lot of the other candidates are bringing a lot of – Things I'm more concerned about than the concerns I might have with Jim. I mean, he's built winning, contending teams at Stanford, in San Francisco, and then now again with Michigan. Obviously, it took longer at Michigan, and there was plenty to not like. And there's there's been not, stuff to not like over the years as well. But I'll I'll take some of the track record there of like, do I think he's going to lead the Bears to multiple Super Bowls? I mean, not not necessarily, but if, if he can get to championship games again the way he did in San Francisco, that's absolutely a a, a proposition I'll sign up for. And I do think. He would know what it's like to be a quarterback in Chicago that would be very good for Justin Fields, and he seems to be pretty good at picking coordinators, which is also a hard yeah. hard to know whether a coach is going to be good at that when they're a first-time head coach. And I, and I think that a lot of the guys on the list, their hire will be enhanced by who they bring in yeah. as their assistants. Like I think one of the reasons that Harbaugh is a sexy pick for a lot of Bear fans is because of the potential return of Vic Fangio. Now that he's been let go uh, in Denver, you know, would he come back to Chicago to be Harbaugh's defensive coordinator? You know, or will it be like I was watching the like the the recap after like on the football after show after the press conference on Monday night? Wanstat was was in there saying Fangio is going to go on vacation for a year because he's under contract with the Broncos for like two years or something like that. Yeah. So he's just going to go ahead and collect his paychecks and take some time off. He's not going to dive right back into it with, uh, you know, God forbid if Harbaugh, you know, gets a job somewhere, would he follow Harbaugh to Vegas or Chicago or, or you know, any place that might entice him away from Michigan? Um, I don't know, man. I, I love Jim Harbaugh. And when he was here uh, in Chicago, um, obviously he had more success like in Indianapolis than he did uh, with the Bears. Uh, and everything, but um, just something with that just doesn't feel right to me. Like, I'm just not feeling it 100% that, you know, I'm not as gung-ho as other people are, saying like Harbaugh, 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 you know, just over and over again, it's got to be him. He's the perfect guy. Give him the job, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm I'm not in that boat. I mean, I just, I've, I've, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting excited about that one. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm like, I'm like, He's at the top of the list or near the top, if not the top of the list for me, because I don't love I have more concerns about a lot of the other candidates, but it's not so much like I love Jim Harbaugh and he's the perfect candidate. It's like, well, 
you know, I, I I do have some concerns about say like Brian Dable, like we talked about in terms of being very stubborn in terms of passing the ball way, way, way too much and not not sticking to a running game when it would have helped Josh Allen or making weird decisions at the goal line in the red zone, which has been very familiar for Bears fans. Or like yeah. you know Brian By- Byron Leftwich in Tampa Bay only really been great with Tom Brady. How would he be? You know, I mean, each each one of these kind of has these big question marks of like, well, I don't know if Leslie Frazier he was not that great with the Vikings at least. Harbaugh has the more steady track record, even if I'm not in love with the personality and the way he sort of rubbed management the wrong way in San Francisco and some very real concerns about how, how things played out in Michigan. It's like, well, I'll, I'll take his flaws and his successes more so. I, I, just, I just feel like there's some more consistency and reliability there than a much more of a wild card, I think, in a lot of these other candidates. Yeah, that's like, you know, people are hot for Brian, Brian Flores now that he's been let go from He's up there for me, Miami. too. And, and, but also, this is another guy that's out because of the way that he rubbed people the wrong way, not because of his win-loss record in Miami. 10-6 and six last year, 9-8 and eight this season, you know, bouncing back from 1-7 and seven to finish 9-8. and eight. They, you know, went 8-1 and one at the, you know, down the stretch, uh, you know, and we're in playoff contention pretty much until like the last week of the, the season. Uh, and, and everything so it's not his win-loss record or getting guys to play for him it's the fact that he and the GM were at odds and the fact that he and Tua hated each other apparently and if you can't get along with your quarterback the football team's going to have a hard time you know going on, on that so it's like there's there's a red flag there like the quality of the coach absolutely but you know he got run out of town because he didn't get along with people not because he wasn't getting it done on the field and would he get along with Justin Fields I mean certainly he would claim to i mean of course in his interview of course he's going to want to work with justin fields and all that stuff like but then how do those relationships build over time you just don't you just don't know and at least like you know comparatively with harbaugh harbaugh was winning you know 12 games and going to the super bowl whereas flores was impressive but you know wasn't that level like if i'm going to take the abrasive i mean abrasive we don't know if flores is abrasive that's probably not a fair characterization but if i'm going to take the guy who has had relationship issues with management i'll at least take the one that had even more success and i'm stacking them up side by side right of course so but you know it's just uh, you know doug peterson that was also another one where things went sideways with management and and the general manager but also because at the same time they went through one of the worst seasons they've had in a long time and the their their quarterback you know got his you know where it was went from being an mvp candidate to being one of the biggest jokes behind center uh, in the NFL last year and uh, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's 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 red flags and concerns for for all of them. I agree with you. It's like I don't really have a leader in the clubhouse right now, as far as you know. Somebody's like, ooh, there's a candidate for us, and there's somebody who's you know, there's there's a caveat to all of it. You know, Leslie Frazier, eighty five Bear, great coordinator, but not a very good head coach in Minnesota. Not to mention he's a little bit on the older side. Uh, as well. So, you know, going from a guy that's in his early 40s like Nagy to a guy in his mid-60s, I don't think that's the move for the Bears, especially since we're kind of going through a youth movement right now. It's like I know we still have guys like Robert Quinn and, and Khalil Mack on the team and uh, and things like that, but we're really trying to, you know, build this team around Montgomery and Fields, Mooney, Roquan, Jalen Smith, or Jalen Johnson, excuse me, uh, and, and everything. We're, we're trying to build around those Young guys, do we really want to bring in somebody who's three times older than them? I mean, will he be able to relate to these young guys and and things like that? So there's there's something for each one of those those guys on the on the list, and you know I'm not really sure who I should be rooting for at this point. 
That's that's the hard part, right? It's, I'm I'm just trying to go in then with like sort of low expectations, so maybe I won't be disappointed. It's like, oh well, they'll, they'll pick somebody and they'll have some flaws, and we'll we'll analyze it as best we can and see what happens. Because that's again, we're, we're just sort of hoping that George lucks into finding the right guy because it just it's a weird process that they're going through to find him. Yeah, I mean, don't get me started on general manager candidates. I there's for me, I'm I'm not so much of a football insider. I could even begin to say why this guy's why this guy's a good candidate and why this one uh, isn't uh, and everything is like I don't really have a dog in the fight as far as general managers uh, are concerned. It's you know obviously I'm a little bit more in on on coaches and uh, and what have you, but um, you know I'm I'm with you like I'm I'm not really getting my hopes up for the coach because when I did this four years ago for Nagy, I wanted Pat Shermer. I thought Pat Shermer, after polishing the turd that was Sam Bradford and making him into a playoff quarterback and making Case Keenum an MVP candidate, that, God forbid, what could he do with someone who has actual talent in Trubisky? You know, what could he do with someone who is, you know, mobile and has a good arm and uh, and all that kind of stuff versus what he was able to do with, with you know, Bradford, who was on, like, his third or fourth team by the time he got to Minnesota, and Case Keenum, who played for everybody else in the league as as – uh, as well, what could you do with somebody who's basically, you know, starting from scratch with, with him uh, and everything? And instead, we were the first team to make a hire, and we hired the guy on the bottom of my list. Why was he on the bottom of my list? Because I never heard of him before, and he's our head coach. So there you go. So I'm not getting my hopes up because it'll probably be the last guy that we expect, probably the guy whose name I don't really know that'll end up being the next head coach of the Chicago Bears. And that's the thing, too. It's like even even if there's a coach that you think is about as – close to a perfect candidate or whatever it might be, pretty rarely do, does that directly pan out that way, right? I mean, I even think, like, you know, Bill Belichick was not an obviously great hire for the Patriots. And, like, I don't know, it was Andy Reid kind of close because he had had some success with Philadelphia. But I think we maybe, in in retrospect, there's a some sort of recency bias there where maybe he was, I mean, he was successful with Philadelphia, but clearly had a falling out there, too, in the same sense that, like, you know, Doug Peterson or whoever might have to. So, like, even he to the Kansas City Chiefs wasn't, like, a necessarily, like, everyone knew it would be a home run type hire. There haven't been very many of those where it's, like, everyone thinks this is a great hire and it pans out to be a Super Bowl, you know, franchise-defining type hire. So everyone kind of comes in with some of their question marks, and you just there's just no way for us to know, especially on the outside, whether a candidate's going to be actually good, even if we think they're good. And maybe the candidates that we don't think are going to be good could still turn out to be pretty good i mean i can't think of specific ones off the top of my head that fit that mold necessarily of like a guy that no one thought would be a good head coach when they hired him and still turned out to be a pretty good one i mean I, well i got one that um that i thought was an absolute joke and he's still not regarded as like a great coach but he had some good years uh before he ended up getting canned when the packers hired mike mccarthy i thought that was the biggest joke i had ever heard in my life because he got hired as because he was OC in San Francisco when mm-hmm. they had like the 29th rank offense in the NFL and they couldn't score 10 points a game or anything. It's like, this is who the Packers hired. That's ridiculous. And he ends up winning a Super Bowl. And, you know, thanks because thanks greatly in part to having Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback won a lot more football games than he lost when he was out there in Green Bay. That's a guy who was like, they hired him, and then it ended up being a dynamite hire for them, or at least for the most part. That's one that jumps out for me. That's so. why That's why it's hard to come into this into this head coaching cycle with, with 
very much optimism. And, and, and honestly, that's why there's that's why I kind of circle back to the Harbaugh appeal. It's like, well, he he, he seems to fit the mold of of coaches that have sort of worked like coaches that have had some success at a previous stop, but not all the success and maybe learn some lessons from that and come to the next stop. Like Frazier, you know, was, was pretty bad in Minnesota, right? I mean, yeah. it wasn't a complete dumpster fire, but it was, it, it was not good. And I, I, I like the idea of like a coach who, who had some success, but it's not like it's this, but it's also not the, the guy who won a Super Bowl and is just trying to do the same thing over and over again. Like, cause I think somebody pointed out that no coach has ever won a Super Bowl as a head coach of two teams, at least not in the modern era that, that I'm aware of. Like if you win one with the first team, they don't tend to end up winning one with the second team. And I don't think that's a necessarily a fair, I mean, of course there's such a small sample size of coaches who have won Super Bowls and then gone on to other teams. So it's not, it doesn't disqualify say Doug Peterson, for example, but like Harbaugh is like, Oh, he had that success and got close. I mean, let me try it again with, a slightly different team and maybe a better quarterback and different ways to go about it and more modern and had some time to think and learn from it. Whereas some of the other retreads didn't give me as much confidence in how well they did in their job the first time. Yeah. It's, um, it's a crapshoot. That's for sure. And, you know, to circle back to the beginning of this whole thing, the same dummies who made the decision seven years ago when we brought in uh, Ryan Pace and John Fox uh, are making the decision again. So, I mean, at least we can blame Nagy on on pace because that was his hire. Well, let's play with this let's, scenario, Lauren. Well, I was to say real quick, you know, J- John Fox is another one where it's like Super Bowl winning veteran head coach. They bring to Chicago and obviously he didn't inherit a very good team and was going to have some struggles along the way, but clearly just couldn't couldn't put that together either. It's not, yeah. I mean, he, Fox, not that he was a, necessarily like a grand slam home run hire, but like. I remember Bears fans feeling pretty good about him. Like okay, I felt like, good about is... it because he was, for the first time in a while, a guy who had had the job before. Yeah. Whereas, like, how many times from, I mean, going, I mean, all the way back to, like, Ditka. From Ditka to Juan Stats to, you know, Jerron. Nobody, none of these guys had ever been a head coach before. It's like, I think it's finally time for us to hire someone who's had the job before. And John Fox took two teams to the Super Bowl. He didn't win in either of those instances, but he's been where we want to go. He's, you know, got all this extensive uh, experience. He just had, you know, like a 13-win team or whatever in Denver, but, you know, they're looking for another guy to get them over the hump uh, kind of thing. So that's why he's available. Uh, You know, I was pretty excited about the hire. However, it just came out recently. That was not Ryan Pace. I mean, we all knew it wasn't Ryan Pace's choice, but we just found out like, you know, about a month or two ago that Ryan Pace had a handshake agreement with Dan Quinn to be the head coach of the Bears before it was before John Fox was basically forced on him. I, I missed that report. What, what are the details on that one? Uh, Eric, Eric Lambert, sportsmockery.com, uh, says that um, when, when Ryan Pace found out he was going to be GM of the Bears, he had a handshake agreement with Dan Quinn to be the head coach of the Bears when the McCaskies and Ernie Acorsi pushed John Fox on him and said, we're going to hire him as the coach. Hmm. I mean, talk about a what if. Yeah. Because oh. we hired Dan Quinn in 2015, you know, maybe we stick with him a bit longer than we did with John Fox. Who It was obvious the game had kind of passed him by. That's why John Fox, I mean, the results speak for themselves. I mean, what six and ten, three and thirteen, five and eleven? Yeah, you deserve you deserve to go 
after that. But a younger coach to go along with a younger GM, those guys maybe have been on the same page a bit more. Maybe we make some very different decisions with how to rebuild uh, the football team and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Who knows how it goes? But, uh, you know, because – to Fox's credit, real quick, I mean, he he his first coordinators were Adam Gase and, and Vic Fangio, and obviously, like Gase was a terrible disaster of a head coach, but yes. like he did he did make what what felt like good coordinator choices, and there's still some thought that maybe Gase could have some value as an offensive coordinator, just doesn't know how to run a, a football team, but like right. he picked Fangio and Gase was like those were those were supposed to be home run hires too for the Bears, like that was there was all the potential was there for that, yeah. it just never for never. Well, I mean, that's Fangio. the thing about that 2015 season we were six and ten we were even though we were only one game better in the win column we were a far better team than we were the year before under Tressman where the inmates were running the asylum and it was one of the more efficient years that Cutler's ever had and but it was such a good year that Gase got a job with Miami and then we lost him and we're stuck with the old Loggins for the last two years of of John Fox's tenure uh, as head coach, that, which was a disaster of a, of a of a decision on his part, that was that was the problem. I don't I don't know. Had they kept Gase, would it have been, you know, worlds different? Because I mean, they still had quarterback issues with you know there was the Brian Hoyer, Matt Barkley year was in there, and then yeah. you know Trubisky's rookie season with Mike Glennon was was um, you know I don't could Adam Gase have salvaged those things? Not not necessarily, but Dowell Loggins was an absolute disaster, and there's a reason that guy has. Well, he's still an offensive coordinator, but it's certainly not progressed in the NFL. Yeah. But, but, you know, Gase was the cutler whisperer, man. His his touchdowns were up. His interceptions were down. And that's really all we needed from Jay was him to stop throwing so many damn interceptions. You know, because that's, that's how we lost all those games to the Packers was they were just waiting for Cutler to serve one up for him. And without fail, he would one game after another. And very important correction, uh, Dowell Loggins is now a college tight ends coach, which feels much more appropriate. That's way more appropriate. That's that's what he should have been doing. He should be coaching positions, not running offenses, because, oof, man. Anyway, it's just, yeah, talk about a wormhole we just traveled down. But, I mean, it just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how this all pans out. I like that it's a wide net that the Bears are casting. So it's not like, oh, we're bringing in these three guys and that's it uh, kind of thing. They're casting a wide net. So um, I don't know how I feel about this one tweet that I saw online was that um, like th- this uh, this other uh, person was was tweeting that, you know, they like that they're casting a, a wide nets. They're, they're leaving themselves an opportunity to be wowed. I don't want them to be wowed. I want them to hire the best guy because I get a feeling that they've hired these interview darlings and when probably passing over the best actual candidate for the job kind of thing. Like, you know, obviously having a good interview is important, but who is the best person for the job? Is this the guy that really made you laugh your ass off during the interview or was the guy who's got a plan for our offense going forward? I mean, I, I don't really care so much about the bears being wowed so much as I am in picking the right guy, the best guy for the job. That's what I've always been concerned about with with George McCaskey, right? Is because he's not a football evaluator. He's at best a a, a businessman or whatever. Like that, that felt to me like 
in through this interview process that either Harbaugh or or Frazier can go to can go to George and say, listen, you know, I, I played for the team. I know how important success is for this franchise and what it means to the city. And I want to bring a championship back to Chicago because I understand it. And, and all these, you know, all the nostalgia and the the hope and the meaning and all these great motivational things, which are good. I mean, those are not bad things for a, a coach to expound and to include as maybe part of his pitch or whatever it might be. But like that shouldn't take weight over like, Hey, here's how I'm going to lead human beings. Here's how I'm going to be held accountable. Here's how we're going to maintain transparency. And then here's also my plans for football field, the X's and O's too. Like, I mean, there's those two layers, especially the first with the leadership and, and how you interact with other human beings to me as a head coach and especially general manager, like those seem like priority number one and then X's and O's. And then if you can also sell me on some of the return to glory Chicago Bears legend type thing. Sure, that's fine too. But like mm-hmm. the other stuff should come first and I don't fully trust George to be able to properly evaluate the other stuff and not maybe get sucked in a little bit on like returning the glory of Grandpa Hallis or, or Great Grandpa Hallis or whatever. I, don't, I always forget the, the lineage there. Yeah, just Grandpa. Yeah, it's – I mean like like I said, I like I had a shiver run down my spine when I read that – tweet i was like that's probably where we've been going wrong this whole time is that we're, we're we're picking the guy that gave the best interview as opposed to the guy that's best suited for the gig and i mean chief example being tressman over arians i mean that's that's trubisky over watson and mahomes right there so i mean it's just just a, a decision that could not have been more wrong and, you know, it just sussed out to be the worst possible choice you could make was taking, was picking Trestman over Bruce Arians um, uh, and everything. That That is Trubisky over Watson and Mahomes as far as, like, the caliber of decision that was made there. And, and you can see the, the translation there of, like, you can imagine, and this is all sort of hypothetical, maybe it's not fair, but hypothetically, like, Bruce Arians goes in the interview and is a little bit more... Cut and dry, and a little bit more to the point, to the business. Maybe, maybe abrasive, maybe not. But you know, the Bruce Arian style is no nonsense. You know, just cut to the chase. And Mark is much more, or seemed like much more of a kind of a a thoughtful, you know, thought out, well spoken. Not that Bruce Arians isn't well spoken, but you know what I mean. Like Mark is going to come in there and and really deliver and nail this full presentation. And Bruce is going to come in there and be a football guy, you know, and tell you about how the team is going to go and how we're going to be tough and lead and all that stuff. And I can see where in, in my mind, I, you can envision a scenario where Mark Trestman nails the interview and gets the job. And Bruce didn't give them that same warm and fuzzy feeling that Mark was able to expound upon. Yeah. Not to mention uh, a couple of weeks ago on the after show, Lance Briggs said that, um, you know, um, there were three coaching candidates that were presented to Rod Marinelli who was the, you know, our DC for, for, for Lovey and one of the more beloved coaches uh, during that era for the bears. And they asked him to rank the three coaches. Like, you know, basically who would you stay for? Cause the bears really wanted to keep Marinelli, especially after the year they had in 2012, uh, you know, most turnovers, like nine defensive touchdowns and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And Tressman was number three. Arians was number one and they hired Tressman. Do you remember who number two was? Who the third coach was? I can't remember. I, I don't remember either. I mean, for me, it was it was it was always Arians. Arians was the guy. I mean, Lauren, I was over the moon that we actually interviewed him because how many times 
Did we have like, this free agent would be perfect for the Bears. We never even talked to him. Or this is the candidate that I'd like the Bears to talk to as far as coaching or, or, or whatever. And we, there was never an interview or a phone call or, or anything like that. I mean, I just thought, I thought it was a huge step in the right direction. Like Phil Emery is a genius. We actually interviewed Bruce Arians. This is the guy we got to have. And Bruce Arians thought the job was his. He thought he was going to be the head coach of the Chicago Bears. And then they gave the job to Tressman. It's just, wasn't it like the very next day the Cardinals hired him? Like he was clearly just like waiting for the yeah. Bears to tell him no. And then he took an inferior roster to a 10-6 and six record his first year. Meanwhile, uh, you know, Tressman puts together one of the best offenses a Chicago Bear team has ever had, but he hired Mel Tucker as his defensive coordinator, and we all know how the defense was during his entire tenure. Those two years in Chicago, we had the worst defenses in the league. So, yeah, I just... Yeah, but if, if we hire Bruce Arians, Rod Marinelli stays, and who knows how it goes. So. It's and, and yet and yet here we are at eight nine and Matt, you're Matt, eight nine years later, later in the same, same spot boat. for the most same part. Spot. Yep. Starting over, new general manager, new head coach, going to define the next era of the Chicago Bears, and we've got some pieces to be excited about: Justin Fields, uh, David Montgomery, who general managers, you know. Objective number one is to give that guy an extension. Um, I I worry about it though because he's not his guy. You know that that's the other thing that I worry about with the the next general manager coming in is uh, how is the fat going to be trimmed by the next guy? You know who's who's going to want to bring in his guys, which is his right uh, and everything. But who are the casualties going to be when that happens? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 such a hard thing to really trust again because of the the top-down decision making and and where all those things start to come from but uh there's at least some slate for them to work with here in terms of a lot of free agents coming up for the bears in terms of not not a lot of guys under contract next season so there's there's some wiggle room to turn things around but it's 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 gonna be a lot of work we're gonna have a very different looking football team in 2022 that's i think that no matter who does who's get the who's hired, who's brought in to run the team and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be a very different-looking uh, roster uh, next year. A lot of guys could be gone, including some huge fan favorites like Akeem Hicks. And, uh, well, I don't know how much of a fan favorite Eddie Goldman is, but he's probably on his way out uh, and things like that. Bilal Nichols is a free agent. Do we bring him back? Do we bring back James Daniels uh, and everything? Uh, you know, it's it's, it, it's quite a – it's quite a uh, – like like I said, there's there's a lot to work with there, but there's also quite a bit of work to do just to put a roster together for 2022. Yeah, I mean, every wide receiver not named Darnell Mooney is a free agent next season. I mean, that, talk about it. It's a good opportunity to build around fields when you could you could bring in a number. You have the flexibility to bring in a number of new wide receivers, maybe a few different new offensive line starters, maybe another tight end. I mean, running back, I said, but like there's there is real potential here in terms of just flexibility roster wise you're not locked into a bunch of veterans that you just absolutely have to stick to but at the same time the salary cap space does only go so far and, and you're dealing with some of ryan pace's dead salary cap money that's still going to linger for a few more years yeah. plus if you end up needing to get out of say eddie goldman's contract or eddie jackson's contract or whatever you might want to be getting out of there's going to be some financial consequences too so it does feel like whoever's hired is not going to come in and turn this team around right away to be a 12 win team necessarily. I mean, they, it's possible, but it seems like this is more of like, and there's going to be at least one year of sort of transition before things can maybe take off in fields third year, maybe. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like I'd be okay with that if there's a plan. And progress. Yes. Well, I mean, because remember a few years ago, I think right at the very beginning of the Sean McDermott era, they lost like two-thirds of their salary cap to dead money. So there was going to be a year in Buffalo where they were going to struggle because they didn't have the money to put a decent football team on the field. And then they came in, they had the draft picks, they had the salary cap space, they built the football team that they have now. They drafted Josh Allen, they drafted, um, what was his name, the the linebacker, Edmonds? Terrell, Ter- Tremaine or Terrell, I get to mix up, Tremaine, Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah. Tremaine Edmonds. You know, it was, and for, the, for Bear fans, it was either him or Roquan Smith. I think we made all right with Roquan Smith, but, um, you know, he's been a stud for, for, for the Bills uh, as well. They sign, you know, they trade for Stephon Diggs. They sign Micah Hyde uh, and all that kind of stuff, and they put together a, a perennial team out there in Buffalo. If we could get a return like that but have to, you know, you know eat shit for a year in 2022 while we figure out our salary cap and, you know, cut some of this dead weight uh, from it, you know, if that's the plan, because that was a public, well-known plan in Buffalo. Like, fans were aware of it. The You know, they, they came out and said, this is what's going to happen. We've got a bunch of dead money and everything like that. Basically, we're going to have to take it in the teeth for a year, and then next year we'll have salary cap space. we got multiple draft picks and everything, and we'll start rolling from there. If that's a plan, I think I can handle that better than what we just sat through this year where there was hope, there's there's talent, there's this new rookie quarterback and everything, and then just watch it all fall to pieces one week after the next. The hard part is you've got fields on the rookie quarterback contract where it's going to be so cheap, so it's like you want to maximize the heck out of this window. But I don't want to go necessarily – I mean, can you go all in on 2022 with a brand-new coach and brand-new GM? You know, the roster's not desolate, right? You're not not doing a complete rebuild, but I'm I'm – I still want to keep that eye towards the long term because if Justin Fields works out long term, even when he has a more expensive contract, he, if he's still if he's that good, then he's worth every penny when he costs more. But you right. do also want to maximize it now, so I, I I do get the the sort of mixed motivations there. Yeah, so I mean, I'm just saying, like if that's what the GM comes in and that's what he wants to do, was okay. So regardless of how bad it's going to hurt us, Khalil Mack gone, you know Eddie Jackson gone. We're we're starting over. Here we're you know we're we're going to handle and take all this dead cat money this year. Like the fact that we're probably going to be paying Jimmy Graham until he's fifty for what? Why the hell did we do that with Jimmy Graham? Like I don't understand. But that was one of the things that that if I had to fault Ryan Pace for anything, it would be what he's done with the salary cap and how he's handled the money and kept pushing the weight of these contracts. To later on, like we didn't lose Kyle Fuller because he's not a good football player. We lost him because he was supposed to make twelve million dollars, but he was a twenty-one million dollar cap hit. You know, same thing with with Charles Leno. He was going to be you know ten or twelve million dollars, who was supposed to only make like six or seven or something like that uh, this year. We had to let him go. And while I was not unhappy about Charles Leno not being on the team, when the the foot when the offensive line situation turned out to be what it what it was, we really could have used Charles Leno this year. So. I mean, it's just one of those things about him pushing the salary cap money further and further down the road. And, you know, now it's not his problem anymore. It's the problem for the next guy and for us as fans to, to sit there and watch the team that's getting put together because we're still playing, uh, paying guys that have been on the team for four years. And that very Charles Leno just got a contract extension he did. from the Washington football team. So, like, you know, it sure would have been helpful. I mean, to be fair to Pace, like the Bears had however many 
offensive tackle injuries throughout the oh for sure camp and all. I mean there was yeah. some of that was a little bit out of control, but certainly they didn't, certainly they didn't go into it with a, a strong plan A of solid starters on the offensive line across the board. Yeah, so but we'll have to to wait and see and. Uh, Love to have you back when they finally get this all hashed out. Now that we we have the reality of who these new leaders are going to be, who the head coach is, who's our uh, you know general uh, manager, and, and and looking forward to it. We know what the schedule is going to be. Obviously, we don't know the wins and the well, we know the wins, but not the wins. No, we, excuse me. We know the wares, but not the wins. We know who we're we know who we're playing next year, and we know where they're playing them, but we don't know when. We don't know the schedule. For 2022 yet so it's the afc east and the nfc east which will be interesting we get um buffalo and miami at home new england and the jets on the road then dallas and the giants on the road and philly and, and washington will finally be able to call them something next year i'm hearing it's the commanders for washington the the rumors but it's it's possible they could keep the football team name. They haven't ruled. They they listed. They released a name, a list of eight finalists. I think, yeah. finalist names, including football team, and then Commanders is the one that people are rumoring is what they're actually going to choose. But well, I think they're doing that because the like the the leaked images or, or whatever. Yeah, like, I think one of the one of the executives or one of the front office people has got a piece of paper on his lap, and it's a logo that says Commanders on it. So yeah, or like like, like the patch that's going to go on the shoulder of the of the jersey. It says Commanders on it. So I don't hate that name, but uh, we'll see what the uniform looks like. I'm the uniform snob. That's what's far more important to me than what they're actually called. But uh so Washington and Philly. As long are, as they're not orange. Dude. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't wouldn't make sense for Washington. I, but I detest know, those goddamn jerseys. I hate them so much. I can't even begin to tell you. So, well, you know what's what's ironic about that? You want to know what what jersey I wore in high school? Orange. Oh no. It was orange. It was. It was orange. But we had we had blue pants to go along with it and orange helmet. We looked like Syracuse, basically, is what we did. We didn't have a logo on our helmets. We had blank helmets with blue and white uh, with two, um, two navy stripes and a, one uh, white one down the middle, a navy blue face mask, and we had orange jerseys with, like, the Clemson paw on the, on the shoulders. Was, a little less pumpkin-like, so that helps. Far less pumpkin-like, yes. And also we had the big block varsity numbers as opposed to the very – I don't know what it is about the numbers on those orange jerseys. They look skinnier, which really turns me off uh, as well. And the dark trim on the white numbers doesn't work for me either. It's just – yeah, there's a lot of things for me and my, my graphic design brain to try to wrap itself around. I've hated those jerseys literally from the beginning when we started wearing them during Lovey's uh, era, and I curse Akeem Hicks – for starting the campaign to bring them back because I hate those jerseys. I couldn't tell that you didn't like those jerseys, but now, now I can't. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not something that's been all over Twitter and Facebook for the last decade or anything like that. My listeners love to tease me about it because they know I hate those jerseys and we wear them twice a year. So God help us all when that happens. But uh, yeah, I, I hate those. I hate them so much. I really do. I love the throwbacks. I miss the 40s throwbacks, the ones with the with the orange. It's basically like a plain Navy jersey with those orange numbers. I like those. But, uh, you know, and I even like the throwbacks with the Wolverine um, or the Michigan helmet and things like that. But those yep. orange ones, I can live without those every single day of my life. 
the, the orange, the, the Wolverine Michigan ones are just a little weird. I don't know. I, yeah, the socks, uh, they lose me. From like from the knees up, I'm okay. But the socks, the little pippy long stocking striped <laughs> socks, I don't like those at all. <laughs> Literally, pippy, like long stockings, like for real. Literally, yeah. yeah. They're terrible. So, but uh, yeah, so it's just something that my my listeners and my followers love to tease me about the orange jerseys. Like any t- like I had a few of my listeners that are on my, on my Facebook group got uh, like a, a orange Khalil Mack jersey for Christmas or something like that. They posted immediately to the for like, hey Larry, look what I got. You know, it's like oh god, burn that immediately, burn it, <laughs> piss on the ashes. That's how much I hate that jersey right now. So I was like, oh, I got the orange George or the orange Justin Fields. Like you wasted your money. Because it looks terrible. Get it out of here immediately. So, yeah. I don't know, maybe man. New, uh, maybe the new GM and head coach will, will do away with those. How about that? Yeah. But you want to know what really what really burns me is like when I watch uh, – whenever ever attempt one of those st- – or stumble onto one of those um, – watch it uh, like, a, like a Twitch channel or something like that where they're playing Madden and the Bears are in all orange. I, I just want to scream anytime I see that. Not only, would, not you, only the orange choice jerseys, to not choose those. That like, why would why would they choose them? Like, yeah, yeah. No, they they went out and and they chose those uniforms. They they decided to put the Bears in all orange, which just angers me to no end. I can't even begin to describe how much I hate <laughs> that. Not just the orange tops, but the orange bottoms on top of it. Ugh, I hate it. So the only the only team in the NFL that's bringing orange to the mix, aren't they? <sighs> Off the top of my head. Well, I mean, the Browns wear orange. That's shoot. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. They're all orange. Like, <laughs> I mean, the Bengals wear orange. So. Yeah, well, never mind. That was there's, dumb. There's that a was few. Dumb. Here, I, was like, I was running through in my head. I was like, I can't think of any other teams. But then, of course. Those are the only ones. The, 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 Browns, and the, the Browns and the Bengals, they wear orange. But, uh, yeah, everyone else. Well, I mean, other teams, you can. The Dolphins have had an orange jersey from time oh, to time. Yeah. But it was, you know, a softer orange, not the 10-mile orange that the Bears look like they're wearing. You know, they're the Chicago pumpkins. Also, you could take them hunting. As you traffic can see cones. Them from, yeah, traffic cones. That's a good uh, description of them. I'm looking at my board here because I got my, my maggots from people. Oh, yeah. So been, I was trying to pull up a list right now, but you're way ahead of me there. Yeah, I got, uh, I got my little magnet board with all the games yeah. on yeah. it. And, uh, yeah, it's the Bears, the Bengals, the... Browns, uh, well, I mean the Broncos. Where Broncos, orange? Yeah, yep, the Broncos. Yeah, very dumb by me. <laughs> yeah, the Bears are the only team that wears orange, other than these other six teams. But you know, the only one in the NFC. How about that? Well, that, we'll, we'll correct that. I just forgot that. Part. I think you nailed that one, buddy. I don't think anyone else in the NFC wears orange. I think you got that one. Whew, but, uh, all right, I'm not an idiot anymore. All those other orange teams are in the AFC. So yeah, you're good to go from there. Yeah, <laughs> you're solid. <laughs> <laughs> so all right man let's go ahead and 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 wrap this uh wrap this up i mean it was i made a fool of myself yeah. well i mean it's been such a tumultuous season why why not have a little fun on the way out you know what i mean yeah but i mean it's it's been a hard season to get through i think you and i a year ago at this time were saying this is going to be a hard year to get through because nothing's going to change nothing is going to change Nagy's coming back he's already declared he's going to be calling plays uh, next year, and you know we're going to let these guys take another swing at the quarterback position. And even though we got a great quarterback, in my opinion, we still managed to screw it up. So you know that that was painful to sit through, and and how frustrating was it? 
after the way Justin Fields played against the Lions for Nagy to come out and say, Andy's the starter. If he's ready to go this week, Andy's going to start. I mean, how pissed did that make you? Just to, just to hear those words, let alone the fact that it could be reality come Sunday against the Raiders. It was one of those just like I'm I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed. You know what I mean? Like just like of course. Like I mean, like, I was still okay. I was surprised, but like I shouldn't have been. Maybe that's yeah. what it is. It's like I, I I allowed myself to be surprised, and I and I shouldn't have just gone and said yes. This, of course, that's what Matt Nagy's going to say. Yeah, and, and it just goes along with what Adam Hogue said after the uh, press conference on Monday. He's like, I'm stunned, and I know better. Yeah. He's like, that's I'm, I'm stunned they, again, and I know better. They suck us back in, though. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, for some reason, like, we think this time, for some reason, we think it's going to be different, and it just it just never is. Yeah, and that's where they kind of have us by the short and curlies, Lauren. They know we're going to watch. They know that fans are going to come to Soldier Field. They know that they're going to support the team, so they can essentially do whatever we want, which is where everyone starts pounding the table again as to why the McCaskies need to sell the team. Because nothing's going to change. It's kind of like when you know the Cubs wouldn't succeed as long as the, the you know the Wrigley Corporation owned a, owned them. Once they sold it to the Ricketts, things changed. We won a World Series. So you know, I think a lot of people think that would probably happen in Chicago if the Bears got sold to somebody. That they would put the right people in charge and let football people run the organization, and maybe the right right hires get happen, the right players get signed, and the next thing you know, we're hoisting Lombardi again. I had never heard the phrase "they have us by the short and curly," so I've been laughing about it ever since you said that. <laughs> you learn something new every day, buddy. You got a story. You got another phrase you can throw out there for your, for all of your young millennial friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the ownership thing. I mean, you'd like to believe a new owner would come in and and see the forest of the trees here, but yeah. Same time, I could see a new owner who's like, oh, I just got to hold the Chicago Bears. I'm going to run them my way. Here's how I think the team should be run. And then, of course, same thing, different different owner. Yeah, same story, different chapter kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So Short and curlies, all that. Short yeah. and curlies, man. They got us, for sure. So I'm not really sure how that works, the short and curlies thing, but, you know, it's it's a phrase. It's It's been out there for a while. So look it up in Urban Dictionary or something. Yeah, don't just know. don't think about it too hard, I think. Yeah, is the, yeah I think that's, the, that's maybe where your head starts to hurt, thinking about how the short and curlies and how you works. grab, how you hold how some, you, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, all right, that's enough of that, but you know what I'm talking about. So um, so we're in the playoffs now, uh, or at least we is in the biblical we and in, in, in like the NFL itself. Um, who do you like in the playoffs? It's hard not to feel good. I mean, to feel good about Green Bay is, is a strong way to phrase that, but like hard not to think the Packers are in a pretty good, to be, pretty good position to be successful. And then, you know... The AFC is, I mean, of course, like Tampa, Tampa Bay and Tom Brady, I think, will turn things on in the playoffs in a way, and they'll, be, they'll meet in the NFC Championship game there again and see if Matt LaFleur decides to actually throw it on the goal line this time instead of <laughs> he'll go with Aaron Rodgers. Like, that's, that's what I'm anticipating that. And then the AFC, it's a, it's a whole mess. I don't trust the Titans to win in the playoffs. Yeah, I would think the Patriots are probably going to do better than we think they are, but rookie quarterback, I just I, I can't I can't trust them to be good. So then Chiefs, I guess. But, I mean, certainly they've looked as vulnerable as they've ever been, so I... I, I I mean Bills. I I could easily see the Patriots beating the Bills this week just because Bill Belichick will just pull something out. But then like I can't see Bill winning three games on the way to the Super Bowl either with Mac Jones. So then the Titans wander in, or do the Chiefs turn it on all of a sudden? I mean that's that's sort of where I think it's it's going to probably end up in one of those directions. But it's just it's weird. 
Yeah, the, the Titans might be the weakest one seed I've seen in, in, in either conference in a very long time. Yeah. As far as like, you know, they're the one seed. This is the team. I mean, because essentially when you are the one seed, you're the favorite. Because you, you've got home field. You're going to be at home no matter what for every single uh, game throughout the playoffs. And in today's NFL, you're the one team that gets a rest this weekend. So you get to charge up your batteries, especially with Derrick Henry uh, coming back from the foot injury or whatever, you know, we might be wrong and the Titans might steamroll their way, you know, with the welcome addition of Derrick Henry uh, coming back and everything. And also they might immediately just get scraped off the floor by whoever they play uh, in in the first round. Mm-hmm. And I know this is a bears podcast and, and, and I'm going to, you know, regret saying this out loud because it's going to be on the record, but I am low key rooting for the Packers to win the Super Bowl this year. And, and it's just for one reason. And one reason only is to why would Rodgers come back after this? You know, why would he risk coming back and not going back to the Super Bowl or being able to run it back? What is there left to do if he wins a Super Bowl, another one, finally? You know, would he just retire or? Yeah, just quit. Go, you know, just retire. Like, you know, he's what, 37, 38 years old? I mean, I know that's still kind of young for quarterbacks with Tom Brady being 57 and everything, but it's just. You know, if he wins the Super Bowl, what what reason does he have to come back? What what reason does he have to keep going after that? You know, for someone who was you know within an eyelash of retiring this season, what what would what would be the reason to come back if they if they win it all this year? So as much as I would hate for the Packers to win the Super Bowl because just that would be that would suck having to be on Twitter with, with those dickheads and everything like that throughout the entire off season when they've won and everything, they're unbearable uh, at times. But you know, if it means we don't have to deal with Aaron Rodgers anymore, I'm, I'm willing to take that bullet. You don't think he wouldn't want to just like come back and try and do it again with the floor. I mean, sure. But again, as far as like, you know, why does he need another one? Well, is he, I think he's just a competitor who wants to, play football. I also think he wants to do it without McCarthy. That's fair. No, that's fair. So, I mean, if he went ahead and he he does it without McCarthy and, you know, and all that kind of stuff and they're able to pull it off and, you know, especially, especially with, with everything that went into this year where they weren't even sure he was going to show up for training camp uh, and all that kind of stuff. It's just for him to be able to make the Super Bowl and God forbid win the damn thing after everything that he's been through for him to end the season on top, hoisting the trophy. Why would you risk coming back, you know, only to have, you know, only not to be able to do it again? Would push him past Brett Favre in rings too, which would be yes. I mean, not that he's, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how much he cares about that. And obviously, he's won, he's created his own legacy. But like, this is a nice little cherry on top to say, yeah. And also, he won more rings than Favre too. Yeah. So, who did you have in the preseason? Who did you like in the preseason? It still felt like Tampa Bay and and Kansas City were probably going to be. I mean, I, I didn't make like official predictions or anything, but. Sure felt like both of those teams kind of retooled in ways that were going to be keeping a lot of their success. And I guess we're still I'm still thinking they're probably both going to be in in a lot of those conversations. I wasn't sure if the Rodgers thing would would they'd be able to mend that fence enough to not hit some adversity during the season. But, yeah, I certainly didn't think the Titans would be at the top of that list. I thought thought maybe more from the Rams and they're still in that conversation. Yeah, I mean. I had our good future mutual friend uh, Ross Jackson on the show during the summer we kind of did a um, AFC preview and an NFC preview, and we both came to the same conclusion, which was the Rams versus the Chiefs in the uh, 
Super Bowl, and thankfully both of those teams made the playoffs. It wasn't looking good there for a bit, um, especially with the the Chiefs being three and four at one point um, and everything. But uh, you know, both of those teams are there, so I'm I'm still in in contention to possibly um, you know be right on my prediction. But I mean, is there a weirder team in the NFC than the Arizona Cardinals? Have you seen their their record? They yeah, are, it's nuts. They're seven and one or eight and one on the road, three and five or something like that at home. And thanks to them, you know, losing their last, they haven't won a home game since October. They lost their last five home games. Um, and their one road loss was in Detroit. I mean, just how crazy is that? And because they're like a five seed or something like that, they are likely to be on the road throughout the playoffs. So this is a team that won like eight out of nine games on the road, and they're most likely to be a road team uh, in the playoffs. And and they've won in some pretty impressive places uh, this year. And, um, you know, like, so I don't know what to expect. It's pretty wide open. You know, I mean, obviously the Packers, I think, are the favorite in the NFC because um, they just, you know, but they've also found a way to choke their ass in the playoffs on more than one occasion, which is why Aaron Rodgers only has one ring and one Super Bowl appearance. He's only been to one Super Bowl in this whole time uh, and everything, but he's been to, what, like five NFC Championship games uh, and, and, and something like that and, you know, fallen flat on his face uh, in those games. Not that the losses were his fault or anything, but the Packers always find a way to lose those uh, football games or go 15-1 and one in 2011 and then losing the divisional round to the giants at home, uh, you know, and things like that. So, you know, it's, you really can't trust anybody in, in the, in either side. And like I said, with, with the Titans being the one seed and they like, I trust them the least as far as one seeds over recent memory uh, and everything. I really don't know what to expect from the playoffs. We know who the good teams are, who the favorites should be, but how it's all is going to play out is what I'm most interested to see. Especially once, if, you know, if COVID cases start interrupting playoffs yes. again, too, yeah. if, that, if all of a sudden, you know, the, the Lamar Jacksons of the world are, are out for that game and a backup quarterback has to play. I mean, I, th- I think we saw it in the wild card round last year, but it seemed like things were mostly insulated by the time we got to the championship games and, of course, the Super Bowl, too. Didn't the Browns have to miss, like, most of their coaching staff when they beat the Steelers last year? That sounds vaguely like, Wasn't familiar? Kevin Stefanski watching the game from home? And like their special teams coordinator was the head coach for the game or something like that. Cause they, I think they were missing like five members of the coaching staff, including like their head coach and their offensive coordinator or something like that. And they ended up with 28 turnovers against the Steelers and winning the game anyway. And then everybody was back the week later for the Chiefs game and they ended up winning that one or, you know, just barely losing to the Chiefs actually. And somehow those same Steelers have stumbled their way back into the playoffs just to get embarrassed again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're going to KC to play Mahomes in 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 the in Arrowhead, so that's that's not going to be pretty. And it's like all it is is going to be the swan song for Roethlisberger. That's all it's going to be. So, and I can't imagine it'll be a great swan song. No. I mean, he, he kind of got his moment or whatever the other week, and they beat the Browns or was it the Ravens? But regardless, I mean, all right, let him go. He's he's done. Bye yeah. bye. We're done. <laughs> See you later, Ben. Like, yeah, yeah. The Chargers and the Raiders could have kneeled their way to a tie and kept Ben Roethlisberger out of it, but. Uh, Instead, uh, you know, Vegas went for the win and sent the sent the Chargers home and opened the door for Roethlisberger and company. So, oh well, you're welcome, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
there's one gift, one final playoff run. And, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin, like 16 non-losing seasons in, uh, in Pittsburgh. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, like uh, just a decade and a half of not having a losing football team. That would be well, pretty good. And he's been in that, like, weirdly pipe dream rumored Bears head coach conversation yeah. along with Sean Payton and, I mean, Sean and Payton. Pete Carroll. Yeah. And all that seems to have evaporated now that the head coaching spot is actually open. None of those names have really come out with any sort of tangible reporting at this point that the Bears are. Not that they would, I don't know, would it, how much of that would truly leak, I don't know, but you'd think something would have come out by now that, hey, it's open. Are any of those going to happen? Probably not. Yeah, so... All right, Lauren, I think we've uh, drugged this one out long enough here. Um, uh, like I said, we look forward to having you back some point during the offseason, and uh, we'll talk about the, you know, who the Bears did settle on, who were the, who's our new general manager, who's our new head coach, what is the outlook, uh, you know, like for, you know, now with these new guys in charge. How was their press conference when we were introduced to each of them uh, and, and everything? Did, did Georgie Boy find a way to – Tell us to hold his beer and, and really just piss it down his leg a third time. Uh, or, uh, you know, th- do we come off with a very good impression uh, of, of our new leaders uh, in, in, the, uh, in the organization? So uh, look forward to having you back uh, then. Uh, where, else can, where else can we keep up with you in the meantime? Yeah, of course. You can hear me on the Lockdown Bears podcast five days a week. It's at pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. We're there as well as on YouTube. Uh, the Twitter handle is at Lockdown Bears for the podcast, and I'm on Twitter at Cox Sports One. Yeah, and if you want to uh, on YouTube, if if you've got it set up to for the thumbnails to basically show you a, a minor <laughs> preview, uh, you get to see Lauren drinking drinks because that's every time I pull up the Lockdown Bears podcast and I and I highlight the thumbnail to, you know, to select it, to watch or whatever. It always shows like a three second preview of what the video is. And it's Lauren drinking drinks, probably like during his commercials or something like that. It's, it's always just water. And it's, you know, people don't realize when you record a solo podcast for talk for 30 minutes straight or whatever, that every once in a while in there, you, you do need to, to wet the old, uh, the, whistle, the if you will. yeah, yeah. wet the whistle. That's a good one <laughs> by the short and curlies. So, you know, <laughs> You know. I would hope, I would hope those things remain separately for. Yes, for they, they yeah. should uh, at least you know. Never mind. Anyway, Lauren <laughs> Cox, Cox Sports One on Twitter, the Locked On Bears podcast, and uh, it's always fun having you on, and we look forward to having you back on again real soon. I appreciate it. Anytime, man. As always, love having Lauren on the show, and like I said, we'll just we'll uh, you know try to come up with some reasons to have him back on. Whether we're, when it's when we finally hire that GM and and head coach, and I've been thinking about doing some other things this year. If you guys remember when I talked to Chris Gates from the uh, Daily Norseman about the Vikings and possibly getting together and 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 talking about one of the weird and and wacky games between the Bears uh, and the Vikings, kind of doing a deep dive on an older uh, game. Um, you know, maybe having some other people on about that and, uh, you know, seeing what we can uh, come up with. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what other what we can do, because I really would like to stay active uh, during the offseason uh, this year. So um, we'll come up with some other stuff to uh, to do. 
And, uh, you know, we'll see if we can get Lauren to join us in, on the ride for, for some of that because I'm sure that we'll have plenty to talk about with free agency and the draft and this new regime and where they're looking and, and what they can do with the pieces and, you know, who the casualties are going to be when this new regime comes in. Who does he keep and who does he let go and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. It'll be an interesting offseason uh, for our beloved Chicago Bears and us as fans watching them sculpt this team into what we'll have to watch and sit through in 2022. So, um, yeah, we'll keep you posted uh, on that. And, um, you know, probably going to take a little break. Um, well, actually, I take that back. The break probably won't come until after we make our head coaching hires, uh, head coaching and, and general manager hires just to, you know, like I said, I, I kind of really feel like the 2021 season isn't over until we've made those hires. Because then that's the start of 2022. We can go forward from there. You know, until then, we're still talking about 2021 and the and the hiring of new general manager and head coaches is kind of like the repercussions of the 2021 season. So that's why I feel like hiring them is the start of 2022. So for me, this 2021 season isn't over until we have new leadership uh, in the building. So. I'm going to stick around, you know, as often as I can between now and the day that we finally hire these guys and uh, we'll move on and in the off season and free agency and the draft uh, and, and all that kind of stuff uh, in the meantime. So stay tuned on the uh, social media. It's uh, at BTU underscore Larry on Twitter and uh, Instagram. And uh, you can also follow the Facebook group. Just search Bears Talk Underground on Facebook join the group, get in on the discussion, uh, and what have you. So um, keep an eye on the social media to know when the next episode is coming. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. 
you should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.